score and seven minutes ago, we, your forefathers, were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure, conceived by our new friends, Bill and Tim. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time, just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And... Party on, dudes! Welcome to Now Playing's most excellent Bill and Ted retrospective series. Bill, what? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. With our most triumphant of podcast hosts, Jacob. Listen to this dude. He knows what he's talking about. Arnie. He's totally a robot. And Stuart. You know, you got a bad rap, but you're actually an okay dude. This podcast will contain heavy plot spoilers and heinous language. Dude, I got a very bad feeling about this. It'll be fine, Ted. Listener discretion is most definitely advised. Let's rock! Today, Bill and Ted face the music. Starring Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, Kristen Shaw. Samara Weaving, Bridgette Lundy-Payne, Anthony Kerrigan, Aaron Hayes, Jema Mays, Holland Taylor, with Kid Cudi, and William Sadler, and Jillian Bell, directed by Dean Pariso. I'm Arnie G. Carvalho, Esquire. And Stuart. I have a name, Jacob, Jacob McCoy, Jacob Caleb McCoy, that's my full name. And we are Now Playing! I want to thank the listeners who've gone on this excellent adventure with us to this new movie. And we learned something. I got a little bit of a correction to the last show. A Melvin is not the same as a Wedgie. What is it? Because I've been giving them to everyone that I see. It is a reverse Wedgie. It's a, a Wedgie to the front of the person's genitalia, which I saw people say that. Maybe I got to go out back and watch the movies. It never looks like they're pulling up the front of Death's Underwear. I did go back and rewatch the scene, and what happens is you get a close-up of Death's waist, and because he's wearing black robes, is it front, is it back, it's confusing, they pull up, and then when you cut to Death's face, Bill and Ted are running away behind him. Yeah, so it looks like a wedgie. Yeah, since I'd never heard of a Melvin, I'd never heard of pulling somebody's pants up from the front, because... They can see you do it, and they have arms to stop you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know how that would actually work, but people apparently do it. So I just thought it was a wedgie, but no, a Melvin apparently squashes your nuts. So thank you for educating me, listeners. I also saw people claiming that they're valley boys. That's what their whole lingo is. They're not stoners. We know that. They're not surfers. They're valley boys. But to this movie. So it's been 30 years almost since Bill and Ted, and... 
I never thought this sequel would happen. I heard every so often some rumblings about it. More from Alex Winter, the few times I would hear about from Alex Winter versus Keanu Reeves. I will say I did watch an interview with Keanu and Alex for Rolling Stone. And yeah, they started working on this 10 years ago. Like this has been in production for quite some time. 13 is what they talked about in the making of book. Alex Winter hosted a barbecue with the writers and Keanu. I have to wonder if Keanu and Alex are close. Oh, it sounds like it based on that Rolling Stone interview. They Because they talked about how they had to audition so long for the original Bill and Ted that they had a break for lunch, like 10 hour long auditions, which is unheard of. And so they became very good friends. They're both bass players, apparently. So they had like, they rocked together with two basses, which sounds like something death would totally be into. (laughs) Apparently they're both really into motorcycles. So it sounded, again, this could all just be image for publicity for the movie. But I did get a sense that at least at one time they were good friends because of, of this franchise. I believe there's no way of getting the band back together just for the money. I mean, keep in mind, this is always a low stakes franchise. They did it for the passion of it. They did it because these characters were important stepping stones to who they've become. And so, yeah, I think that the risk is high, right? You really look like you could break your back putting on that shtick again and trying to pretend like you're 18 years old when you're 50 something. Well, and they said that that was never their plan. They didn't want to do that. They wanted Bill and Ted to be age appropriate. They didn't want to try to do that shtick. They wanted to show that they had matured. And we could talk about if if they pull that off. Well, I have to believe if Alex Winter invites Keanu and Ed Solomon and Matheson over for dinner, he had to be thinking about planting some seeds, right? I mean, it's (laughs) Yeah. I don't picture that dinner party being an annual get together. But they started talking about it in 07. Then they had a serious sit-down about it in 08. Matheson and Solomon wrote the script, had never talked to MGM. MGM holds the exclusive rights to Bill & Ted. So it's crazy to write a script that only one studio could possibly option, but that's what they did. Good thing MGM really is desperate. Well, they went to MGM in 2010 with this. And MGM said, absolutely not. Nobody wants to see these old people. We've been working on the Bill and Ted reboot. Didn't we tell you? Okay. Zac Efron and I don't know, whoever the kids were into in 2010. Taylor Lautner. Oh, that's very heinous. Is that for real? No, I was just grabbing a name when you grabbed Efron. I don't know how much they were working on it. MGM has had tons of financial problems that have gone on for so long that... For a while, I think the only thing they could put out was James Bond, and they kept running out of money for those. (laughs) That is the lifeblood that has kept them alive at all. They have a roaring lion, but what you don't realize is between movies, that lion then goes back to the vet and is on life support and dialysis (laughs) and transfusions. Yeah. Did it help that Keanu became like a big star again? It can't have hurt. And 2013... They got Dean Pariseau on board. They're like, you did Galaxy Quest, the best comedy of the 21st century. I didn't bother to speak to my television and mention it came out in 99, but I guess people only saw it on video. Also Red 2. Which was the second best Red movie. The best. (laughs) Just to point out, he came on board with this the year Red 2 came out. And then they got the producer from the first two back, Scott Krupp. 
and Krupp started deal-making with MGM. But then what really got things started was Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves decided we're going to do guerrilla marketing. Keanu will be asked about it on interviews he does for other movies when he goes on talk shows, and he'll just say, well, we're trying to get it going. And Winter had a friend who was a writer at Entertainment Weekly, and Entertainment Weekly seems to, I mean, it's now Entertainment Monthly, but it seems to have only existed for like the past 10 years to be like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer cast reunion. (laughs) They really still clinging to Buffy? That's so sad. They did, a cast reunion. They got everybody back to have a retrospective thought on Buffy, and they did it with Back to the Future. They did it with just all these old properties, 80s and earlier, even the 90s. I believe they did have a 90210 cast reunion. Well, because Alex Winter knew a writer, he's like, well, we're going to do a Bill and Ted cast reunion of two people. (laughs) And apparently that got a lot of hits, and... Keanu, of course, had a connection with a studio, Hammerstone Studios, and they agreed to finance the film. And then they did that announcement video, which you saw, what's that at, the amphitheater? The Greek amphitheater. Oh, now it's just called the Greek theater, but yeah. And when they got that video, the movie still wasn't a guaranteed thing. (laughs) But they did that, it got tons of views, Bill and Ted started trending, After all that, MGM agreed to let them make the film so long as MGM didn't have to pay any money to get it and it would be distributed under the newly launched Orion label. MGM's trying to bring Orion back from the dead. Yes, getting a reboot. Yeah, that was even more retro than Bill and Ted. I was like, wow, I, I saw that at the beginning of this movie. I really felt thrown back in time. And then to answer your question, Jacob... John Wick 3 came out, Toy Story 4 came out, so Hammerstone actually increased the budget by a third. So they were all ready to go, and it all happened. But, like, every core player had to give back half their money to the production before it even started. And you'll notice that William Sadler's a producer of this. You have to think (laughs) that's in exchange for taking, what, scale? Yeah, take scale and get some money on the back end. And so what is it ageism? What What is the general fear about why this is not worth investing in that at a certain point, nostalgia doesn't cut it? Yeah, well, I think we'll talk about it in this film is, OK, this came out at the end of the 80s, though it was shot and it's sat on a shelf for a while. But like that first one, it's all about the glam hair metal. And the second one uh, kind of still is. They got some updated music, but like we had moved on. We were listening to Nirvana. We were into grunge. And like, really, we're, we're going to go back to hair metal in 2020? Like, I don't even know what popular music is these days, but I don't know, some DJ on YouTube, probably. Who wants to watch a story about time travel with some hair metal guys? And Keanu's a major star, but there is something to be said about somebody trying to play a role they played 30 years before and trying to pull off the same air guitar. Excellent! And at a certain point, it becomes sad. For reference, anybody who thinks I'm wrong, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. 100% agree. (laughs) I mean, would you want to see Mike Myers and Dana Carvey put back on the Wayne and Garth wigs anymore? They did that at the 40th anniversary, and it was kind of cute because that's a whole nostalgia fest, and we got Eddie Murphy being Mr. Robinson's neighborhood again. But would you really want to see that in a movie where it has to be taken a bit more seriously? I could see trepidation. And then the only thing you've got going here is Keanu, right? 
Now, he obviously is a bigger star. I mean, he is a star, whereas Alex Winter is not. But we live in an age right now where our childhood is being sold back to us all the time. I feel like everything that we enjoyed is being, yeah, sometimes rebooted, but coming back. And so, yeah, when Paul Rubens does Pee Wee Herman again in a movie. I, I, Sad. He did. It was on Netflix. Yeah, I feel like there is an appetite for it. Maybe the surprise is this movie had ideals about going to a movie theater. We ended up streaming it anyway, but that had more to do with COVID than the fact that they downscaled their ambition. And let me just applaud this movie for doing same day and date video on demand and theatrical. Although doing that, this did not play in our local theater. Our AMC boycotted the movie. Yeah, it only was released in about a thousand theaters I read. Yeah, it was at the drive-in, and I went. Uh, it was the second movie, and I had such a bad experience with the first movie, I'm like, I just want to go home. So I ended up streaming it at home. Like, the temptation was just too much to, like, watch it at home seemed right. I mean, again, I'm not the Bill and Ted fan. What was the first movie, Stuart? Uh, you know what? We'll be covering it soon. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hint, it's not Tenet. <laughs> I did end up buying this on streaming. We had a conversation last week. It was freaking confusing. You could rent it for $20 or buy it for $25. Yeah, we weren't sure if you paid the $25. Was that a rental fee or was that a buying fee? Had no idea. But hey, I'm happy I bought it $25. That's what it would be, you know, maybe a few bucks more when it was eventually home released so i've watched this movie twice i watched it on opening day i was so excited and then i watched it on recording day a few days later so that i had fresh for this review yeah i did the same thing the first time i watched it it's just to watch it and take it in and enjoy it and not have to write everything down like i usually have to do if it was a theatrical release but I was curious, in the same way that I'm curious about Top Gun 2, how do you take characters that are hopelessly caught in their time period and adolescent and see them as middle-aged people? Like, that was the curiosity. You know, I read a bunch of comics. In the last three or four years, Boom Studios put out, like, three different Bill and Ted series, and I read the original one back in the 90s, and, like, trying to look for hints. Like, what could they do with these characters? Like, what did they do in those comics? And a lot of them felt a little fan fiction-y, like... One, they run into a teenage Denomalos when they time travel and they take him back and teach him to love music and Denomalos becomes the new Bill and Ted. Another one, it was about Napoleon. He was in hell and he takes over hell and then takes over heaven and Bill and Ted have to, you know, defeat Napoleon. The third one was interesting though. Bill and Ted saved the universe because you found out about their moms. They apparently went off into space to go fight some space battles and Bill and Ted have to help them. And there was an, one interesting moment. Like they don't do much with it, but there was one interesting moment where Ted is like, um, I got a family now. I can't go and save the universe. Like I have responsibilities to my wife and children. I'm like, ah, like there we go. There's an aged Bill and Ted. Like, what do you do with that? Like, so that was like the one little interesting moment in, in that comic. But once I saw the trailer, especially the second trailer, I felt I really knew where this movie was going. I thought they gave too much away. You kept implying that. I saw very little about this. It wasn't easy to find stuff about this, I think, because COVID. I mean, right? We're not going to movie theaters and seeing previews for everything else we're watching. So I didn't end up seeing any advertising until maybe on regular television a couple days ago. And the surprise to me was it looked like the pitch was... Keanu and Alex Winter were were going to be supporting. They were the ones maybe going to need the rescuing. That's the impression I got. 
Yeah, it, it was all about the daughters going to save them, and they were going to become the new focus. So it was a reboot. That was my thinking coming into this is, oh, they are just rebooting it, and the names Bill and Ted are anointing the new female characters. And that was my fear coming in. If that was exactly what it was, I expected to come in a blazing red arrow if you sidelined the characters we came to see. Is it a Lady Ghostbusters thing? Is it? I mean, I know there is a risk of taking roles that males particularly have made famous, giving it to females that has gone kaflooey. I like the Lady Ghostbusters movie. So again, I have trouble quantifying why that went so sour. I'd be okay with that, Stuart, if this was Billy and Thea face the music. If they're calling this Bill and Ted, I want Bill and Ted. Like, just be truth in advertising. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. And even though they were called Little Bill and Little Ted at the end of part two, that doesn't count. Yeah. Oh, another twist they totally gave away in that second trailer. And you saw the Comic-Con stuff. Oh, yeah, where they gave everything away. <laughs> yeah, you were really fuming that you felt like you knew the entire movie. Is that still the case now that you've seen it? Do you feel like they gave too much? Yeah, again, they totally gave away that the daughters were going to go and form a band for Bill and Ted. So, like, that was something I didn't get from the trailer that I, I got from there. And they gave away some of the band members that they were going to pick up. So, yes, they gave a lot away. And if you're very sensitive to spoilers, I'm not. I don't care. That's fine. If the movie's good, it's going to be good. I don't need it to give me some adrenaline rush because there's twists and turns every 30 seconds. Yeah, if people who hate spoilers should never watch a movie twice, right? <laughs> exactly. How do they watch a movie twice? They hate spoilers so much. I do want to mention something I learned in that Comic-Con panel is the actor Bridget Lundy Payne prefers the pronoun they or them. That's Billy? Yes. Okay. So when referring to Bridget Lundy Payne, we will use the preferred pronouns when referring to Billy, we will use her and she, because that's a character they're playing. Well, Arnie, tell us what Bill and Ted are facing. Give us the plot of Face the Music. I'll say this is the most complicated plot of all three movies. I, okay, Ar Arnie, I do want to say this. I do not envy you with this. My wife, after I watched this, because I just stayed up till two, almost two in the morning watching this, she, like afterwards, she's like, was it good? What's it about? And I tried to recount this plot, which has like three different storylines. And I'm like, finally, I just like, let me show you the clip from the movie. Like, try because, yeah, there's a lot going on in this film. It's like the Back to the Future 2 of the Bill and Ted universe. <laughs> It kind of is. I mean, you could listen to what I'm about to say or press pause, go watch the movie on video on demand. I'm interested to see how high level you go. <laughs> when last we saw our most excellent adventures, Bill, Alex Winter, and Ted, Keanu Reeves, they had triumphed at the Battle of the Bands, had chart-topping hits, and even played a sold-out Grand Canyon stadium show. At least that's what the headlines at the end of the film told us. But in this movie, we find out their fame was short-lived. They never did write and perform the song that would unify the planet, and, as shown at the headlines at the end of Bogus Journey, Death dropped out of the band to go solo. So this movie picks up about 30 years since their Bogus Journey. 24 years later, they've retconned the timeline. Bogus Journey now took place in 1995, I believe. Okay. So this movie picks up 25 years since their Bogus Journey. Bill and Ted are middle-aged, frustrated, and still trying to write the song that saves the world in between gigs at restaurants on $2 Taco Night. While their musical careers have failed, their marriages have also hit the rocks as Bill's wife Joanna, now played by Jayma Mays, and Ted's wife Elizabeth, now played by Aaron Hayes, want to go to couples counseling. 
and future versions of the wives are coming back to the present to convince their younger selves to divorce these wild stallions before they're too old and it's too late. The only area of life Bill and Ted actually seem to be succeeding is as dads to their 20-something daughters. Bill's daughter, Little Ted, is actually Theodora, or Thea, and played by Samra Weaving. Ted's daughter, Little Bill, is Wilhelmina, or Billy, played by Bridget Lundy Payne. They're music fiends just like their dads, but they study music rather than play it. Yet, while the girls are close to their dads, their lack of jobs or ambition make Bill and Ted seem like failures to other people, or at least to Ted's dad, again played by Hal Landon Jr. Even people in the future aren't pleased with Bill and Ted's lack of progress. Rufus's daughter, Kelly, played by Kristen Schaal, is sent from the future to bring the aging rockers in front of the High Council. There, Bill and Ted are told reality is unraveling. All of existence, past, present, and future, will cease to be if the two don't write their song and perform it at 7.17pm that night, only about 90 minutes away. Unable to write the song, Bill and Ted travel to various points in the future to meet older versions of themselves, hoping one of them will have the song that needs to be played and save all reality. But each time jump shows a worse-off Bill and Ted, be they destitute or in jail. The High Council then sends after Bill and Ted a Terminator. <laughs> See, the prophecy of the Chosen Ones, Bill and Ted, may not be they need to write a song, it could be they need to die. So a murder bot named Dennis McCoy, played by Anthony Kerrigan... Dennis Caleb McCoy, use his full name... Played by Anthony Kerrigan, is sent through time to kill them. Billy and Thea know their dads are in trouble, so to help them, they take Kelly's time machine and go through history, gathering the best musicians of all time. This is like plot number six. Yes. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, Mozart, and others. But when they return to the present, the entire group is killed by Dennis. In the far future, Bill and Ted meet versions of themselves in a nursing home. These oldsters have the song that will save the universe, and it's on a thumb drive. Because I guess they still will be using thumb drives at USB-A 60 years from now. I thought they were actually making a joke. I, when the first time I watched this, I missed the MP46 reference. I'm like, oh, that's an MP3 <laughs> in the future. They're on, on version 46 now. Seeing that they have the song, Dennis decides not to kill Bill and Ted. But when the Stallions find out Dennis killed their daughters, they break the thumb drive and Bill, Ted, and Dennis all die and end up in hell, where their daughters and the historical musicians have been sentenced. To escape hell, Bill and Ted must mend their fractured relationship with death, again played by William Sadler. When he's back in the band, he returns all the killed people, including Dennis the Robot, to Earth to play the concert. But Bill and Ted still don't have a song, and then it comes to them. They don't write the song, their daughters do. Thea and Billy aren't exactly songwriters, they're remixers. So each of the famous musicians plays their part, and Billy and Thea adjust the tempo in the mix. More, to save the universe, the song has to not just be heard, but played by everyone in all times. So Bill and Ted use the Time Machine phone booth to create infinite copies of themselves and deliver musical instruments to anyone who ever has or ever will exist. Finally, they and their loving wives get on stage and play their song, Face the Music. All realities are brought into alignment once again as credits rock and roll. And as they start, it's a flashback for those that may not have recently watched the other two movies or ever seen them perhaps bogus journey did happen 
What we are to learn is that, in fact, the high note that they end the second movie on was real. It just didn't last. They were the biggest thing in 91, and they played the Grand Canyon, and, and it looked like they had written and created a new future utopia. But like everything in pop culture, you quickly find out that you fall off the charts. Yeah, I, I'm going to still say they got to retcon a ton of stuff to make this one work. Whatever. Maybe all those headlines we saw at the end of Bogus Journey, some of those happen after this film, like where they play Mars. And, and so, yeah, I think they, they saw the concept, oh, death walks away from the band. Maybe we could do something there. It fits in between the headlines that we saw at the end of Bogus Journey. Well, you said, Jacob, that the dates at the headlines at the end of Bogus Journey were all over the map. Some said 1991. Yes, yeah, somewhere in the future. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be interested to know if some of these headlines are after 2020, where they're reunited and playing Mars, and which ones are before. But yeah, in listening to the commentary on the Shout Factory Bogus Journey Blu-ray, both writers were there, and there seemed to be two big takeaways at the end. One, they didn't necessarily approve all those headlines at the end. They didn't really like them, and it caused a huge problem when trying to think what would part three be if we have all these headlines. And B, apparently one of the writers forgot Little Bill and Little Ted were introduced, and so they were boys. I guess that that's an easy way to go. I could see Bill and Ted calling them Little Bill and Little Ted because... Whatever, that, that's how they are, so I'll go with it. The writers did say they first, when they were tackling scripts in 08, they were going to go with that continuity that it was Bill and Ted's sons. And the problem was they felt like they'd already made that film and called it Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. There was nothing new about having young Bill and Ted's be boys. And then when they decided, well, what about daughters? Because a lot of the people making the movie had daughters at that point, and they were even talking to George Carlin's daughter named Kelly. Then they said, well, what if we try making them daughters? And they said that's when the movie really started to flow. Look, with I think with Bill and Ted, they're, they're never very consistent with their logic. We talked about the problem in Bogus Journey, where even if you go into the future, regular time keeps going, but they didn't miss a second of that concert. Like here, they're going to throw out a lot of talk about m multiple universes and all that. Maybe it makes sense to some physicist out there. I'm going to be willing to go with it because that's just, it's the Bill and Ted universe. I agree completely with that. It's I mean, I tried looking it up. I even tried engaging Ed Solomon on Twitter to explain why the time travel was so inconsistent in this one, and I'm still going to call out every bit of inconsistency as we go through the show. I'm not letting them off the hook. Oh yeah, there's a lot. But I'm going to at least roll with it for the sake of the picture. Some of my favorite jokes are here at the beginning. This is the best part, this opening wedding. I do. I follow pop music. I love to watch the trajectory of bands that, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, like, in the 80s, you were so big, and then you just had decades more of music and, and watched your whole career geometrically shrink with each album. Seeing those album covers where they had their, like, sensitive, like, they looked like Simon and Garfunkel, and, you know, it's black and white, the... Uh, Destination Destiny, and then Never Given Up with a hologram cover. That made me laugh hard. There was a time where everyone had holograms on their covers. I mean, there's an interesting book out there called Advanced Genius Theory. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but it's a way to contextualize, especially musicians. That's the focus. Like Bowie, Lou Reed, Bob Dylan, like these people that were huge for a decade or two, and then they start doing machine music or tin machine in Bowie's case. Like, And it's a way to try 
try to explain, like, why does that happen? Why do these musicians start playing music that is totally incomprehensible? And this advanced genius theory is that they're advanced geniuses, that, like, they created stuff that will be understood maybe in 100 years that we just don't get now. And so I thought this was interesting when we catch up with Bill and Ted. Like, yeah, they become failures. But when we finally get to hear some of their music, I kind of dig this wedding song with this ridiculously long title that they play. The first three movements of that which binds us through time, the chemical, physical, and biological nature of love, and an exploration of the meaning of meaning, part one. Tibetan throat singing, bagpipes. Yeah, that throat singing is awesome. Theremin, like, great. I love the theremin. Yeah, the bagpipes even sound good this time. Listen, that song in its full is on the soundtrack, and I actually love listening to it. How long is it? It's about three and a half minutes. Oh, okay, so I, I just imagine this thing going on for like three hours. Well, the, the way they make it sound is that, yes, the hubris is we're trying to create the greatest song ever written. So that must mean that it has overtures and interludes and that it, you know, prog rock was really into this. If you look at 70s rock and roll, there are a lot of musicians that were attempting to do with rock instruments a classical composition. And these guys are desperate to do that. I'm going to just argue this is the best song on the soundtrack. (laughs) I actually don't like anything else as far as the rock music goes, but this one's actually kind of cool. No, no, I like this, and I think it's hilarious. We haven't said whose wedding it is, but it's Missy, because she's always getting married, and this time she's marrying Ted's younger brother, Deacon, which... It's funny. It, it fits within this universe. And I love how they're just trying to dance to this music. Like, it, it's such an understated performance. But I, I was cracking up at this opening scene. But when we last saw Missy, she was married to Dodomalus. I imagine she's married like five or six people in between, though. Yes. <laughs> it is the joke. And that Chief Logan has become his own son now. Like, the family yeah. <laughs> tree is just, it's a shrub now. And who knows where the roots are and the branches. It's just a gnarled mess. But Bill and Ted, are they're, they're fine with it. And just the idea that they're a wedding band now is also just a great way to reintroduce them. They still look sweet. You know, like, you guys really did point out something that I've really taken to heart. And that is... Unlike so many slackers and and 90s archetypal loafabouts, these guys never satirize. They never have a mean word for anyone. They are genuinely happy that Missy is marrying Ted's brother. Yeah. Who is now played by Beck Bennett, a comedian that I know well from SNL and a couple other things, and he's now taking on the role of Deacon. I'm glad to see some continuity there. We Deacon was kind of missing, mentioned, but never seen in Bogus Journey. Yeah, I looked up this actor. I'm like, did they get the, the kid to come back and play him? But no, no way. It's, it's someone different. Only Bill and Ted are, are the returning and chief logan i guess and death missy's the same oh yeah but as i've said before the wives are the children from christmas vacation yeah (laughs) but i do like you know chief logan he's still a jerk he's not threatening military camp because how can he but to a 50 something year old (laughs) they might benefit from it honestly (laughs) <laughs> when he puts their wives on the spot and like, how does it feel to be the one supporting this family with these do nothing husbands of yours and these kids of yours that just sit around listening to me? I'm like, whoa, dude, you're hot. like if my dad spoke like that to my wife and kids, like I'd be super upset. My dad did speak like that to many of my sister's families. <laughs> and yet the wives are also angry with Bill and Ted. It's not really 
articulated very deeply, but they're unhappy in the relationship too. And it must be for exactly the reasons that the chief is pointing out. These guys are still living teenage dreams and they're 50 something. But the princesses, and they're going to acknowledge this in this movie, come from the very early 15th century. They know all that Bill and Ted have gone through. We get Ted's dad going, give it up. You didn't travel through time or go to hell or any of these other fantastical stories you tell. But the princesses are the only ones other than Bill and Ted themselves that know these stories are 100% true and that they will write a song to unite the universe. So, and the princesses were at one point in Wild Stallions. Rufus in the first movie said they were an integral part of the band. So you'd think they'd be on board. And wouldn't they have tons of like rock and roll money from the heyday? Not necessarily. You got to read about how the music industry works. I, I actually think this is the most realistic thing that they're living in the suburbs. I know big musicians that just live in the suburbs now because that money, like you ever watch Cribs? Remember Papa Roach, like that huge hit that they had? And when they did them on Cribs, they're just living in a suburban house in Simi Valley. Like I grew up in Simi Valley. Like it doesn't take a lot of money to live there. Yeah. I think we all as young people could get stars in our eyes and think I'm going to hit it big time. These are people that did actually make it. They did have a number one single. But it just doesn't last. And I think that is the story for many people. Like even people that achieve their dreams, the dreams are fleeting. And then what do you have 25 years later? That is a really interesting thing for me to contemplate in midlife. Yeah, it is interesting just to realize how much I can relate with these characters. And they're able to play a middle-aged story about aspirations. I'm not even going to say youthful aspirations, but career aspirations, whatever aspirations you hold, getting to a certain age where you realize, to quote of all movies, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, they're at the point where life stops giving them things and starts taking them away. And what does that mean for Wild Stallions if they're still the best of friends? They still seem to share a single brain, but... Ted's ready to give it up. He's ready to sell his Les Paul. Yeah, that tells you how much they're in trouble. Like, he needs $6,400 for this Les Paul. They need money. Again, the wives may not be in the band anymore because they had to go get those real jobs to, to support their husbands. I did find it weird. Okay, the princesses are still around. We know Death broke up from the band. We're, we're going to see him again. But Station? Like, someone's going to call out Station at one point in this movie. It feels very weird. Because who is Station? He's not here. The good robot uses. Like, they're gone. They're, I know there's a prequel com coming out, but it's not coming out for, like, another two weeks. So I guess we'll find out then. But it was a little weird that we didn't get more explanation of, of where everyone went off to. This does feel very focused on just Bill and Ted and their families. Ed Solomon was asked on Twitter during a watch party what happened to Station. And they said they never felt he would fit in this movie. And so they just didn't have a chance to do it. Kevin Yeager, the makeup guy who I praised so much during our Nightmare on Elm Street series and other things, he did the makeup effects for Bogus Journey. And he did the makeup effects for this all these years later. And apparently he had the Station outfits right at hand. They could have put Station in without a problem, but they just didn't think aliens would integrate well into this story. They give them a shout out at the end, but yeah, I agree. They actually have the character back. Bogus Journey is not 
the one that people remember the most, probably. Again, you want to not just play to the diehard fans. It's not, Jacob isn't their only audience. They need to expand it a little bit. And so that's why we have these, these young players, too, who are just like Bill and Ted, but just as enmeshed. You worry that at 24, which is beyond the high school years we knew Bill and Ted in the first two movies, that they're on the same path. That Chief Logan has a point in saying they have uh, the wrong role models. I do feel like, again, this was something that I, that I thought was given away in that Comic-Con panel, but the fact that Billy and Thea, they weren't going to be stupid like their dad, that they're actually, at least when it comes to music, they are super smart. Like when they're like, oh, I haven't heard Theremin playing like that since this person. Like I looked that person up, like that woman, a, a real like pioneer with Theremin music. Like they looked some people up on Wikipedia and like did their research. Like they are dropping names all over the place. And so at least when it comes to music, I don't know about other things. Well, they, we hear them talk physics too with Kid Cudi and they seem to know what's going on. I thought that was at least an interesting twist that they're not going to make Billy and Thea just like their dads, that they, they actually are smart. They probably passed history class real easy. But what do you think of these performers playing Billy and Thea, though? Do you think they do okay? Because I like one a lot more than I like the other. I like Billy better than I like Thea. Yes. Is it Samara? Yeah, Samara Weaving is Thea. Yeah, Samara Weaving, who plays Thea, apparently it sounds like there's some nepotism. Like, she is the niece of Hugo Weaving. And I read that Keanu Reeves is like, I really like Hugo Weaving because we work together in the Matrix. And so, like, maybe that's why she got this. I enjoyed her in Ready or Not. Like, I thought she was good in there. She can't hold an American accent in this film, though. Like, usually that gets by me. Like, it slips so much here. And she doesn't seem to have much to do. But Billy, I really like Billy. Like, this actor brings it. I'm going to go the other way. Samra Weaving. Yeah, I liked her in Ready or Not. I loved her in Guns Akimbo. Oh, that's right. She's like the villain in that. Yeah, she was great in that. Yeah, she's good in that. And here, she's kind of billish, but she's not doing a bill. Bridget Lundy Payne seems to just be trying to do a bad Keanu impersonation. Whereas we saw... Hal Landon Jr. in Bogus Journey do a spot-on Ted and just completely capture every mannerism. At no point did I think Bridgette Lundy Payne felt at ease. They were very stiff in movement and... Yeah, I thought she was doing Keanu perfectly. Yeah, look at how Keanu yeah, jerks around in this movie, and I feel like the emulation is... I mean, again, they're both fine. They're both pretty good. It's not their movie. The, my presumption that they were going to give the floor to these kids in the act two, completely wrong. They will not get anything more than a supporting turn, but they are important. It's important that we see their fathers in them. I feel like the Keanu one really got it. Yeah, I just, I never got out of feeling Billy was just stuck in a not great impersonation, whereas Thea seemed more free to do her own thing. Maybe because Alex Winter is harder to do a caricature of. He's not less known. Yeah, he hasn't been on screen very much compared to Keanu. But yeah, neither of them do I dislike. They're And they're good characters, and I like how they're written. I just... I would have probably, were I the casting agent, I would have worked a little more before finding Billy. But they did say, like when casting Bill and Ted, the chemistry between the two playing Billy and Thea mattered a lot. The fact that these two performers hit it off off screen really helped the, to bring chemistry on screen. 
Yeah, agreed with that. Like, they feel very enmeshed and, like, very tight friends and, yeah, knowledgeable. The The difference is that they know so much more about the history of music than their fathers ever did. Their father's music was everything from, what, uh, Black Sabbath to White Lion, and they didn't know anything else. <laughs> They've obviously expanded their horizons, and I felt like they were keeping up with their daughters on the references. Maybe they were just nodding to nod, but I I thought they knew who the daughters were referencing. I feel like Bill and Ted are pretty genuine in this. Like, they're going to go to couple counseling, and again, they want to make it work with their wives. They're just too Bill and Ted to do it. Like, they can't say, I love you, which I think is a great joke, because even their daughter's going to call them dads. Like, whenever they mean to just say dad, they're like, dads, and we see Bill and Ted here we love you guys like they can't say i love you because they are so intertwined i do love i can't remember which wives reaction it was but showing up at couples therapy and then seeing the other couple is there and like did we get the wrong date yeah i thought that was actually going to be an issue i thought actually the the women were going to be like this is the problem but I don't actually feel like that comes up in therapy, that actually uh, it's, it has more to do with a general sense that they might be happier doing something else. And that vagueness sort of makes it harder to connect with the, with the wives in this movie. The princesses are kind of underdeveloped. Kind of. As they've always been. <laughs> yeah, the princesses have been forgotten about in all three movies. And while we will get to see Aaron Hayes and Jayma Mays, actresses who I like from other roles, and actresses who are way younger than the princesses should be, but I like both of them from other things they've done. Here, they're going to appear more than I think they did in either Bogus Journey or Excellent Adventure, but their arc is the least satisfying in the movie. I, I think that was a little disappointing for me is that they're going to go on their own time traveling journey and to discover, you know, do they love their husbands? Is there something they should stick around because there's something inherently good about Bill and Ted? And yeah, it's just going to be a line at the end that they still love them. Like it, it, it not that satisfying, but this movie's only 90 minutes. Like I am shocked how much plot there is stuffed into this 90 minutes. Not everything's going to get to breathe. Which is disappointing at times. Yeah, agreed. And I do feel, I, I guess all I was looking for is I wanted them more than any other characters. They would be the ones to give the problem of their husbands a name. You guys are too close or, or whatever it is. Or you're losers or you're living on a dream that's never going to happen. I wanted them in this therapy session to say what the problem was. And we don't get that. What we get really instead is I feel like Bill and Ted in this movie are going to go through what's sometimes referred to as the stages of death. Every time they encounter themselves, they're doing what people do when they find out they have a cancer diagnosis or, you know, just something dramatic has changed in their life and they're having to give up freedom and identity. And that makes this very much more of a, I mean, as I hoped it would be, a, I don't want to say somber because this is still a comedy, but a mature and sentimental journey that they're going to go on. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we're going to see a more cynical Bill and Ted, which I would never say they're cynical. But like, yeah, when we get into this story, I don't want to say these are full three dimensional characters, but there's more to them. I'll put it that way. They've been denying the fact that, yeah, the moment is past and maybe they're not going to write this. But I want to give Keanu and Alex a big shout out because I was worried, you know, what's going to happen when people in their 50s put back on the clothes that they wore in their teens, metaphorically, you know, the actors performances 
No, I, I think that's why this works, because they don't put those clothes back on. This this is an older Bill and Ted. They're not trying to do that teenage act again. You know, Keanu, he's he's got a very different... He's, he's He just dresses up more than Bill. Bill's still wearing that Wild Stallion shirt. I, do they make that, that two-headed horse thing? I want that shirt. That's an awesome design. It's nice. If they didn't make it yet, it'll be coming soon. I... Yeah, someone will put a bootleg up on Teespring or whatever those internet t-shirt stores are. I want one. But they still do... Air guitar, they still say excellent, which is good. I'm glad that they're still doing that. Don't they feel more tame, though? They, they don't feel as wild. Correct. They do it less, and that's good. But when they do it, I smile at the callback instead of rolling my eyes at old people doing air guitar. But they don't have a lot of time to reflect as soon as Ted mentions selling the Les Paul. A Rufus shows up. Not the Rufus, but Rufus's daughter, Kelly, named after George Carlin's real daughter, Kelly. Or Bjork, as I call her. I mean, she's literally wearing a dress Bjork wore in in the Who Is It video. I mean, this is, you know, Bjork's tag is always that she's a rocker, but she's from outer space or the future, a cartoon character. Yeah, this new phone booth looks like something Bjork would travel around in. Yeah, she famously laid an egg on the Oscar red carpet. So (laughs) I think they're having a little fun at, at the Icelander here. And Kristen Schaal, she's probably the most famous of the new performers coming here. Is she an SNL person? or I, I'm, She looks familiar, but I can't place her. She was in The Last Man on Earth, if you watch that TV series. She's also been a voice actor in Toy Story 3 and Bob's Burgers. Oh, I just looked at, okay, she's the voice of Maple in Gravity Falls. My girls love that show. I know that voice. She has a very distinctive voice. It's funny because she is not doing a voice when she plays Louise. That is just her voice, Louise Belcher and Bob's Burgers. So seeing her here, I mean, I I know she has comedic chops. I know she can do the timing. Is she the new Rufus? Well, we're going to have a shout out to him in the form of a Max Headroom-like hologram. Something spoiled because I looked at the soundtrack before I saw the movie and there's a track called Rufus Lives. I'm like, at least it wasn't as spoilerish as I thought it was going to be. They would definitely have to have some nod for why Rufus wasn't there. I mean, they'd ha- or, or a reason to include him briefly. And he's died is what we're to learn. This is where, again, if you want to try to really get into the timeline and the time travel and all that, like, why wouldn't Rufus just come back? Like, why would it be even further in the future where they're like, hey, now you got to really make this song at this time? How is there even that future if everything gets destroyed in, in 77 minutes? But I, I guess, are they saying there's parallel dimensions? There's It's a multiverse? That's kind of the feeling I got. That's what I take from this, too, is they have given up the rules of time travel that they had set before. Or have they just updated them to our modern understanding? Yeah, I I agree with that. I feel like they still more or less follow the idea that there is one thing happening, but it's simultaneous. Uh, Is that cheating? Maybe. The fact is they couldn't go into the future to see future Bill and Ted if future Bill and Ted don't exist because they don't have a song for tonight at 7.17 p.m. The thing before in all the other movies were... They could go there and steal dad's keys and things, and the keys would just be waiting for them because it always happened. Denomalous couldn't pull a gun that he planted because he lost, and Bill and Ted had always won. But here we're going to see alt verses of Bill and Ted that are avoidable. Yeah, Jesus is going to be playing like baseball and George Washington's going to go like everything's coming apart. I do love they like they say that the turntable 
that like there's a universal turntable that's centered in San Dimas, which is just funny that that is the center of all reality. But yeah, that that is flipping people. Historical dudes are going in and out of time. We really see the timeline getting messed up at this point. It just feels like they've gone back to the future, too, instead of holding tight to whatever tight Bill and Ted rules were. I mean, I think the, you, you could you could have had the Bill and Ted rules, but what they're saying is there's a phenomenon that makes all the parallel alternate universes folding in on itself. Now, why that is, because it's comedic, because we need to have that, because it brings back the notion that we love from the first film of Hus- people from out of time winding up. Yeah, the fact that Jesus is going to end up at a Kid Cootie concert on stage looking <laughs> foolish like that's just funny i don't know who he is i had to look him up and watch some of his videos but oh he was a protege of kanye west he was a big deal maybe about 12 years ago what i liked about this movie and i wish that they would have just in editing made it a little bit different is this almost feels like one of those movies that takes place in real time because Ted says to Bill, we only have 77 minutes and 25 seconds left. Well, I paused the movie. There's 74 minutes and 55 seconds left. I did the exact same thing, Arnie. I did the exact same thing. So they are so close to being in real time that it would have been a nice thing if they'd done that. Like that Johnny Depp movie in time or some of those others. I know, uh, Bruce Campbell made one, just some of those real time movies. It would have been really fun. Alfred Hitchcock made one. <laughs> Start their rope. Yeah, I, it's close enough. I think that we're to get that flavor. I think we're supposed to feel that, that the time that it takes to watch this movie is the time it takes the characters to have this adventure. Yeah, and they're supposed to write this song, I guess, in the future. The great leader, who is Rufus's wife, is like, here's a bunch of guitars, write your song. But they got other plans. They're going to go steal that tie boot that Hologram Rufus is in. But I did they give it away to you, Stuart? Because I, I totally got this when I saw it in the trailer. They're like, a song created by Preston Logan at 7.17 p.m. I'm like, okay, they're not saying Bill and Ted. It's the daughters who are going to create it. I don't think it's supposed to be a mystery. I think the audience is supposed to be ahead of these characters. I mean, these characters are always kind of playing stupid. So I think the audience knows well in advance that it is the children. I felt coming in that it was the children. I didn't know for a fact, but I kind of guessed it. Because the children featured so prominently in that second trailer, and that's just the way these movies go. So when they said Preston Logan, I was kind of just rolling with the fact that they were being ambiguous with that. And that great leader, another actress I have seen in a ton of stuff, Holland Taylor, she goes all the way back to being the landlord in Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks. (laughs) She looked familiar. I couldn't place her or anything, but she seems like a real jerk. Like, Rufus is just so mellow and cool. She was the dean in Saved by the Bell the college years, so uh, that may be where you know her from. It probably, it probably is. I'm not going to lie. Like, Stuart's like, you, you got to mention Rope. That's the original. And like, no, I go by Saved by the Bell. Like, that's, <laughs> I, I, I got that same uh, low bar uh, reference point. It seems to me like they're doing something here, right? It seems to me like the council kind of represents third wave feminism. There is no Rufus. The Supreme Leader is now a female, and most of her council is female. And they are stern. They are unhappy. They are disappointed in the middle-aged white dudes. I mean, this is topical. This is our time. They are toying with the, the same notions that 
Star Wars and Go- Lady Ghostbusters and the recent Black Christmas. I feel like even D- D- as it turns out, Deep Blue Sea 3, like this is <laughs> the subject matter of our time is the idea of evaluating what is the worth of the middle-aged white man. You know, I do feel, we keep bringing up Back to the Future. I think this film does something, it, it saw Back to the Future and it's like, oh, a white guy is the one who inspired rock and roll, not black people who had their music stolen from them by Elvis and Pat Boone. Like, no, this is going to be about women and um, people of color reclaiming music from white people. Like, it corrects that problem I have with Back to the Future. I do think that, yes, we are to ask the question, when in fact... This council is going to decide these men need to die. I think that that is an extreme view of feminism. We hear sometimes we need to remove this toxic masculinity. The interesting thing is Bill and Ted have never been toxic. If this were Beavis and Butthead being put on trial, sure, they got a lot to answer for. I mean, they did look down Missy's shirt when they were dead in a seance. They used some unfortunate language, too. They were teenagers, you know? You gotta... I'm being facetious, Artie. <laughs> yeah, but I do think that the movie is strangely finding uh, a relevance that the previous two movies... Yeah, we talked a little bit about there were father figure issues and, and parenting and what have you, but this movie really is stepping up and talking about this moment in 2020. I fortunately didn't receive that message. I did, of course, get the daughter thing, but I never feel Bill and Ted are usurped in this movie. I never feel like Laura Dern shows up to discuss mansplaining. No, but they are sending a robot to kill them. I mean, I definitely think that there is an element of that. They are going to raise that issue. I think this brings up, again, I'm... I'm I'm using the term that that it's people all rile up. It's bringing up those social justice issues, but it's I never feel like it's preachy. It's about having a fun party and everyone getting together. And hey, let's everyone get together now. Yeah, I think that you know when you bring this up, Stuart, I rankle because I think of movies like Black Christmas 2019 that pulls out that message mallet Brock mentioned. And here, because it doesn't have the message mallet, it didn't rankle me at all. And you can read into it, yeah, what is it saying in the subtext? But it never feels man-hating the way some of these movies come off. No, it's an inclusive film that that doesn't feel preachy. That's a great thing. We got to follow it to its end. Right now, they've got a killer robot that they're going to send out, which is both the callback to Bogus Journey and, yes, the way that some people have perceived we need to look at white male toxic culture. And so that is going to add an interesting ripple. As they're repeating things they've done from the past movie and skipping around time, there's the litigation about whether these guys should have ever been the savior of the universe. Yeah, I felt they start talking about maybe we read the prophecy wrong. Didn't they say that in Attack of the Clones too? Like there's a diff. maybe it's not Anakin. Maybe it means something else that will bring balance to the force. I hate that stuff. Here it's a line. Maybe if we kill him, just to move that plot along. But I, I got to say this robot, Dennis Caleb McCoy. I don't know if you know this actor who plays him. It was so weird. Noho Hank. Yes, Noho Hank from Barry. Anthony Carrington, who has an autoimmune disease where he has no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. So he has a very unique look. He gets roles like in the TV series Gotham as uh, Zaz, just because he has a unique look. Here they totally cover him, though. So he is a very funny actor, though. So I think that still comes through. I love him on Barry. He was supposed to be a single episode on Barry. No, but he's too good. Yeah, they realized they had a gem there. Barry 
Everyone watch it. If we were ever to cover another TV series, Barry's the only one I would have interest in covering. I love that show. I love NoHo Hank in it. And I didn't recognize him as the killer robot here. You can't. His face is covered. Until he starts talking. Until he introduces himself as Dennis. And then the voice kind of gave him away. Right. At the first, he's just the Terminator. I mean, it's a it's a rift on if we're doing time travel and it's a spoof on the Cameron universe. I don't know if he looks menacing, but for this movie, he looks like no nonsense going to kill him. Yeah, this feels Bill and Ted appropriate. I'm shocked this is PG-13 because maybe in these days, if you have hell, it can't be a PG movie. I don't know what's PG-13 about this versus what we saw in Bogus Journey or Excellent Adventure. But yeah, I do love Dennis's, like the fact that he's has a time machine built in, like he had just has all these parts come out of him and, and surround him in a cocoon and he could time travel. Like, it's a cool design. It reminded me of Nimrod from the X-Men comics. So I wondered if it was a Days of Future Past type thing. I actually thought it could have been William Sadler. I thought, oh, is this how death is coming back? I wasn't, I knew he was coming back and I, I assumed he was going to play death, death, but the character has the, the pale quality. I, I actually expected those two characters to hit it off and become father and son or something by the end of it. He plays the death role. What death did in Bogus Journey, Dennis does here, starting off by being very menacing, very threatening. Also threatening, Bill and Ted seeing themselves two years in the future with a bad goatee. (laughs) Ted has started drinking. Yeah, Bill and Ted have decided to take the easy way. I don't know if it's the easy way. They only have 70 minutes. They've made the decision that it's easier to steal from themselves than it is to be creative. And to come up with this, they've been trying to write that song and they ended up doing throat singing for 20 minutes at a wedding. So if the song does change the universe, if we follow the Bill and Ted time travel logic of the first two movies, then that song exists. If we shoot into the future, we can just go find it and bring it back. And is it like stealing? Maybe a little, but since it's ourselves... Who cares? But they don't have it in two years. But the world, again, didn't fall apart in two years. They're still around. We will see people still transporting in. I think Gandhi, like, transports in at the end. Really? There's someone in monk-type robes that looks like Gandhi. They're bald. I I think there's a Gandhi in the credits. That's who I assume it is. At the La Bonita Hotel? Yeah, just as they're leaving, after they meet their other selves, you see a Gandhi or, or someone flash in. Well, like I said, this is reminding me a lot about stages of grief and dying. Like, this is the depression stage, right? We're this. Like, when Bill and Ted even go back and tell their wives about it, you wouldn't believe what lying losers we've become. We're just so disgusted with who we are in two years. We were hoping writing that song would make us stars again. But the fact that we've lost our daughters and our wives and live in a stinky van together and play... Yeah, no-tell motels. But I like that Phil and Ted, even two years in the future here, again, they're not dummies. They're like, oh no, oh no, we're doing this ironically. Like, which I could totally see some hipster uh, rock band saying, oh, we're going to play Lodges just as irony, as a statement against playing stadiums. And like, maybe they're actually not that good. Like, I thought that was pretty funny. The Rolling Stones did, would occasionally would be known they played a really small club in Chicago once. I knew somebody that got in to see them for 70 people. And there's the Rolling Stone on stage. Occasionally a big band will play a really small small venue just to connect with an audience in a different way but eddie vetter did his very small venue ukulele tour 
Yeah, not quite. Oh, no. <laughs> the point is, nobody's buying it. Bill and Ted are not big stars, and this time traveling Bill and Ted know it. And how disappointing to know that they've got to go further into the future. They're fighting with themselves. I mean, again, a theme of this movie is really the problem is with who they are. They've got they've been in denial about who they are. Now they've got to wrestle with it. And yeah, this is the, the path defining harmony is, begins here by looking at the depressing state of things. What I found interesting, as I mentioned, I think during Excellent Adventure, I always felt Bill was slightly meaner than Ted, just ever so slightly. Like, Bill would berate Ted in moments of high stress, and Ted never said anything bad. But here, I feel older Ted... He's so evil. The drunk Ted is evil, but even the main Ted we follow, today Ted, has a little bit more bite in him. Because, yeah, he says to older Ted, you're the one who couldn't write it, Ted. And then the drunk older one, well, you're the one who lost his wife, Ted. I'm like, damn, Ted grew up. I don't think he's mean to anybody else. I think, again, this is psychodrama. This is someone looking interior. This is therapy, quite frankly. I mean, we're going to get that scene at the end when they meet their older selves, like where Ted talks to himself and says, I never really understood you. Like, it's great. Oh, they're going to meet themselves many times. And again, at each stage of this process, they with the expectation, my expectation is at the end of this, they're going to realize that their lives are over and they need to step aside for a new generation. The surprise will be that is not the message. But the setup, what I believe that I'm seeing is that they're learning to to let go of their fame. Well, this is the director of Red 2, and Bruce Willis didn't step aside for anybody. I don't remember Red 2, or even Red 1 for this matter. <laughs> but yeah, Bill and Ted, they don't go forward again. They go back. They go back to the couple's counseling to like tell their wives, don't go with future you. And I thought this was interesting. Instead of, again, let's just go further in the future. No, we got to save our marriages. Forget about this song. Let's go talk to our wives. And the irony being, I suppose, that had they not introduced, you know, don't think of pink elephants, all you can think of is pink elephants, if they hadn't used the word divorce, nobody was saying that. The wives weren't going to couples counseling because they were ready to completely throw in the towel, I guess. But now that it's been introduced and, yeah, their husbands look so alarmed running around frantically, when they see their older versions of themselves outside the window, they're like, yeah, let's go see what this is all about and where it's going to. And they look at, like, my people at my mother's Floridian condo with the big brim hats and everything. I mean, <laughs> I thought for sure that was going to be maybe the daughters in disguise or something because, yeah, it just it's so silly looking. Yeah, we'll eventually see where they come from. They, they are the same <laughs> elderly age as the Bill and Ted in 2067. But I love the fact that in therapy, like there's a little bit of shade that Joanna is just like, she's coming clean to the therapist and saying, yeah, we're princesses. No, I mean, like literally princesses from 1410, 1408. But she's like, the other one, the other one is the 1408. That two years difference. I'm going to make sure you know she's older. That's funny. You know, and we just end up with a therapy joke here with the therapist who's like, I think we need to see each other every day. And <laughs> But then turns around and George Washington's on the sofa. <laughs> we don't come back to her, right? This is the, the last of the therapist, unless she's rocking. I guess she's rocking out at the end. And so Bill and Ted, they're going to go five years in the future. One thing I do like, there's always that thing about Ted not winding his clock correctly. And that is something they got from Kelly is Rufus, I guess, left a pocket watch for Ted that would 
tell him exactly how many minutes he has to accomplish something because he just cannot wind that clock. But they're going to go to 2025 and they got 58 minutes left. Right. And that's old Bill and Ted logic. Again, that there is a real time frame that can't be cheated, even if you're skipping around in time. Unless it's Bogus Journey at the very end. Yeah, I mean, more-ish. I mean, let's just, I mean, I'm not a stickler for these things. They're more or less following these rules. I appreciate that. Who are they in five years? They've made it. They're in a mansion. <laughs> oh, and, the, and they have British accents. <laughs> it's the bargaining stage. They they think that, yes, oh, look at us. We live in a and wearing Slash's hat to boot. Like, these guys are cool, and they have the song for us, and it sounds really good, and Bill is crying as he listens to it. Yeah, tally-ho, let's go back. And then they run into Dave Grohl, and he says, why are you in my mansion? I did love that. Dave Grohl showing up and that you're trying to steal Dave Grohl's song and just how how over the top future Bill and Ted were, especially Bill with the long hair and the colorful robes and the necklace. I don't know, Keanu and those stretch pants, man. Those things are tight. <laughs> especially, I love it. They go to like a back room. They think they've conned past Bill and Ted to record that song and like <laughs> Keanu's taking his shirt off and he's... <laughs> Ted's got this big beer belly, and of course, Bill is bald. He pulls off the wig. Yeah, I'm just going to throw it out there. I mean, I like Nirvana, Foo Fighters. Does anyone think they're going to be writing good songs in 2025? Not the Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl might. He, he's actually a very good musician, but yeah, he needs a better band. No, as a musician, stellar. But again, like the idea that he's got this song that's so great. I guess that's who they could afford. It's like James Martin. Is that the person you take to the future to teach them about music? I mean, if you're me and Arnie, you do. <laughs> no, that is the funniest thing, Stuart. Forget if Dave Grohl's writing future music. The fact that he has a mansion in San Dimas because the cops are going to be called, Officer <laughs> Logan and Deacon are going to show up. Like, I, I never imagined Dave Grohl having, I don't know if they have mansions in San Dimas. You're right. I didn't put it together that the cops coming meant it was San Dimas. I felt like they were traveling through time and space. Yeah, no, they always say the year in San Dimas, so I missed it the first time, and then thinking on the movie, I'm like, Dave Grohl lives in San Dimas, or they go somewhere else, but why did Ted's dad show up there if they were somewhere else? But no, they're in San Dimas. Yeah, it shows, the, it says 2025 San Dimas, and I just didn't think that's where that mansion would be. Yeah, it is a funny joke, and a subtle one at that. And I do love the gag, you know, old Bill and Ted, they, they can't escape their doppelgangers because they're from the future. They know everything their old selves do, so they got to put buckets on their head so they don't know where they're running. And I guess this this future Bill and Ted, they're not too smart because they're trying to kill themselves. Like, they would die if those bullets hit as they're firing guns. I Again, I look at it when, when you're... In that process of saying, you know, I'm denying that I'm sick, and then, you know, I, I'm depressed that I'm sick. This is like the bargaining stage of like, oh, I can, I can somehow get out of this. They know very well they're trapped in time, and yet, you know, you can know that you're not going to get out of this and still bargain, and that's the way that I look at it. Yeah, the bargain is, maybe we could just send back Dave Grohl's music and it'll work. And we will see that Bill and Ted learn from this when we get to the next segment the next future segment, like they know they can't die their younger selves or else they're gone too. But here we do see Chief Logan. He gets it. Robot Dennis Caleb McCoy shows up and just as he goes to shoot Bill and Ted, they zip away in their time booth and it hits Chief Logan in a SWAT van and he goes to hell. We, we finally get to see death. 
as Chief Logan falls down. It's just a little taste of what you want, right? It is. Uh, William Sadler was my favorite part of any of the Bill and Ted movies as death. And so seeing him there is like, yes, death is back. But it's just a tease. But as you mentioned, Bill and Ted go to see even older versions of themselves. They jump to 2030. So five more years, but 10 years in their future. They're in San Dimas prison. Yeah, I don't know if there's a max security prison in San Dimas. Uh, obviously, well, you know what, the, with, the, with the way the prison systems work, I might joke <laughs> that there'll be more prisons, there will be more people in prison than free by 2030. It, it could happen. But yes, the point is, is the anger phase, right? And these guys are super angry because, I mean, it's funny to think about in the course of the movie, you may get confused and uh, it jumps around so much, you're not thinking about it. But Yes, they were squatting in Dave Grohl's house. They're going to prison for this. And maybe they even get blamed for killing the chief. You know, who even knows what the charges are? But yeah, they've they gone hard. I, I love they are so jacked up, like great makeup effects here, bringing the, the gentleman back from Bogus Journey who did great stuff here. Like, I love that even when they're super muscly and scary and doing this like awful chant that there is, that's the song that they want to go back in time to unite the world. But like their tattoos are be excellent and SD for San Dimas. It was charming. And Bill, who's still wearing the Wild Stallions t-shirt when Ted isn't, is now wearing the Wild Stallions tattoo. And the fact that they think they can switch places. I think what they're talking about is we're going to get in the phone booth. They wouldn't even fit (laughs) too wide. I don't know. You fit like 10 people in there in the first movie, but... Bill is jacked up. He's the size of 10 people. Yeah, they are ridiculous. Yeah, apparently Alex Winter kept going to Kevin Yeager and was like, bigger, 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 (laughs) like a gorilla, bigger. And the wives show up, and, and and we've been hearing about how they they keep rejecting Bill and Ted in the future, and like the 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 time traveling Bill and Ted are like, don't even look, like he's pushing them back into the booth. Yeah, and also Dennis is showing up here, and this future Bill and Ted, they understand. Oh, our younger selves can't die, so they get the all the inmates to jump Dennis. Right, it's what allows the time travelers to to get away. That because otherwise they would they were surrounded by cons. So I I think that yeah they they were outmatched. But thank goodness for the killer robot, who at this point we don't know as Dennis yet. We don't know of him as a goofy character. He's still reading as a Terminator, except when he like radios back home, and you you can tell when he's talking to the great leader or whatever. He's he's talking about a most non triumphant. He's starting to use Bill and Ted lingo. He's looking a little bit more goofy each time we see him. Kind of like Death. Every time he lost a game with Bill and Ted, he got a little bit more silly until he was playing Twister. But when he said uh, non-triumphant, that's how the leaders spoke in Bill and Ted 1 in the future. Oh, good point. You're right. The vernacular, I keep forgetting how influential Bill and Ted are (laughs) to that world. One more time jump, 2067, the end of their life. This was a bold move. Rufus never said this before that we saw in in Excellent Adventure or Bogus Journey, but apparently Rufus said sometimes you got to get to the end for everything to make sense. And so that's what they do. They go to the end of their lives. I'm not sure how they know when that is. Peaceful Pastures San Dimas. That's the rest home they're in. And I don't think they know necessarily this is the end of their lives. They're just jumping much further in the future. Time's running out. Five years didn't work. Ten years didn't work. How far do we have to go? Let's go 40 years in the future. So they're like about 100 years old at this point, right? Like they were probably born, if they were 18 years old in 1988, then 2067. 
97? That's doable. My godmother's 100 and is in better health than anyone on this call. Yeah, my, my hope is that there are nursing homes that look this good in the future. It's a very <laughs> yeah. optimistic vision of 2067. I'm my Fingers crossed that this is going to be available to me. Somehow they lost all that muscle. <laughs> right. Well, you know, steroids, man. Like, it, it, <laughs> this is the downside of that. This is where we learn how the older Joanne and Elizabeth got the phone booth. They steal it from Bill and Ted at this point. Yeah, you see it in the background. I thought that was a great joke. Yeah, and I thought it was telling. Like, when they walk into that room, Joanna and Elizabeth's pictures are on, like, the drawers there. Like they And there's two pillows in each of their beds. So, I, you know, they're hinting that, yes, they are still together. Yeah, the boys are wearing their wedding bands. So, yes, this is the future that's great. I mean, like, maybe you don't love being elderly and feeble and, and infirmed, but they they have their wives and they have the song. This song exists on this thumb drive and it is, I, what, how do they bill it? The answer to everything. And the song is called Face the Music. Roll credits, if you know that meme. But how do these old people have the song? When the song was... It's a multiverse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they've been jumping around because time is... Um, follow me here. I'm not going to really make the case. I'm not Stephen Hawking's. I can't map it for you. Come on, explain it like Thea and Kid Cootie would. <laughs> Up to this point, other timelines have been muddying their timeline. But I think they're in their timeline. This is how they're going to end up. I think that this future is their future. And so they have the song. It is the song. They play a little bit of it. We hear some guitar and older Bill and Ted are insistent that, yeah, that's you playing those guitars. We'll know they'll do that. It is the song we'll hear at the climax. So I think that they're reconnecting with the reality they want to be in and that they aspire to. And this is the emotional moment, right? You said Kevin Smith teared up when he watched this movie. I've got to believe it's watching Bill and Ted connect with themselves. This is where they've been building the whole act too. I had to figure it's when Bill and Ted put their daughters on stage because... <laughs> That's what he keeps doing with his daughter. He can't stop that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. I mean, I do think the proud father thing comes up. But I mean, I felt a little emotional here watching, yeah, Ted forgive Ted. Yeah, no, I, th I thought, again... These are not dummies. Like, these movies are always smarter than people think they are because Bill and Ted were such idiots who couldn't pass history class in high school. Like, that, that should be pretty simple. But they couldn't do it. I couldn't pass Spanish class in college. I'm not a dumb f well, that's a whole different language. Like, that, that is different. I don't know if it's about intelligence. I just, I mean, when you talk about these stages, like, usually, hopefully, you reach that acceptance stage where you, okay, this is the end of my life, and this is what it's going to look like, and this is what I'm going to achieve. And hopefully, fingers crossed, you can be good with that. Not everyone is, of course. But here, because this is a Hollywood movie, they're liking who they're going to be at the end of their life. So the song they play the snippet of is the song from the end? Oh, yeah. It's when they're playing the guitar solos, when they finally join the band. Because I read a theory online that because of the whole timeline thing, every time they jumped into the future, the people didn't have the song. I read a theory that what was handed to them was a thumb drive that was blank, knowing from their own memory of the past that it would be broken anyway and give them the motivation. But if they played a clip from the actual song, then... It, it sounds like the same guitar solos they're playing at the end to me. So they were given 
the answer to save all reality. But but they never, they only heard a clip. Like, they don't know the whole song because they're going to break that thumb drive. But they still have a half an hour left to learn it if they didn't break the thumb drive. And if the old ladies hadn't stolen their time machine. Yeah, because how are they supposed to get back to the past now? Well, they need a band, too. And that's what's been going on concurrently, is as they've been chasing down this song, their daughters have connected with future dude, or as we know her, Kelly, Rufus's daughter, and borrowed the time machine to try and get them rehearsal musicians, you know, the backup band. Yeah, their original plan, again, they're such good daughters. They're just going to put some samples together, do a little remix, because that's what the kids, I guess, do these days. You millennials and Generation Z just remix stuff, and that's what they were going to do. But now they could put together a whole band, which... Again, I, I'm going with this because it's Bill and Ted. Like, th- this is what I feared when Bogus Journey was going to come out. It was like, oh, we're just going to go through time and put together a band. But that ends up not being what this story is really about. Like, it, so little time is devoted to that. The daughters will relive the first two movies their fathers did. And that's generational. Like, your children end up repeating the things that you do. Yep, I definitely caught that. And I like the time travel stuff well enough. But it is a subplot. It keeps the daughters active and in the movie. And eating Cheetos. What is with Theo's addiction to that? Like Cheetos bag. Are they sponsoring this movie? (laughs) Did they eat Cheetos in the other movies? Oh, okay. No, they ate Doritos in the other one. The last one was practically sponsored by PepsiCo. Yeah, it's it's all Frito-Lay, isn't it? You know what, though? In Excellent Adventure, it's subtle, but... Ted gives everybody pudding cups all the time. And apparently in scenes that were cut, Ted has a big affection with pudding cups. And we saw him handing pudding cups out to the historical figures at one point. Yeah, in caveman times, because they that's how they fix the antennas with pudding cups and gum. And then in the during their presentation, if you cut to the audience, everybody's got a pudding cup. Apparently pudding cups were this big running gag. I guess those scenes were cut out. Yeah. So here, they barely got the money to make this. If Cheetos chipped in a few bucks, great. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because like... You Usually when you don't have a lot of money, you you really streamline that story. But here they're going to go back to 1967, try to get Jimi Hendrix. That's not going to work. So they're going to have to go to another time and then go back there. Like they do as much time hopping as their dads, like going back and forth to get things done. I liked that, though. I liked that Hendrix wasn't just like, I'm going with you. Hendrix was like, yeah, no, and slams the door. I don't know. Make it like Excellent Adventure. Just grab him and throw him in the booth. I mean, Louis Armstrong, It okay, he is mesmerized by an iPhone and Jimi Hendrix playing guitar on it. I, I guess that's just a video because you can't no Wi-Fi to get a YouTube or something <laughs> on your phone in 1922. But like, I don't know, would Louis Armstrong join their band just because he saw this Jimi Hendrix video? It, it's all equally silly to me. I, I, it's silly, but I also think there's some truth to that. I mean, I think there's some musicology to that. Was there something, did like Jimi Hendrix love Louis Armstrong? Yes. Like, is that why they had to get him? I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, I mean, they, they outline it here. I'm not, again, I'm not a musicologist, but if I'm to believe these characters, what they say is they were inspired by the trumpet playing, the, the blues and the jazz that Satchmo was playing in 1922 in New Orleans was taken and turned into something else. I mean, the, the song that they play is Amazing Grace. Well, yeah, I definitely know blues was, yeah, is what made way for rock and roll. It's all blues-based. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that they're finding people that complement and take the same ideas. And as they go further and further back, it's the people in the past that know about someone obscure 
that, you know, it is like Mozart that's like, yeah, I know about this Chinese flute player that maybe nobody well, did else you does. Think- yeah, when they go to get Mozart, maybe because, re, you know, we did Amadeus within, what was that, the last year, I guess? January. And so I had that portrayal in my mind, but this is such a stuffy Mozart that, that they have, they go back and get, except whenever, like, he interacts with that robot. He hates that robot. Like, I do love it. Like, this Amadeus, he only speaks, I guess it's it's German. Mozart, I didn't even think about the movie portrayal. I should have, but because this is so different, the only one that bugged me was Louis Armstrong because that actor Jeremiah Kraft was just I don't know the squinting and the voice it felt like an SNL or even worse a mad TV kind of impersonation yeah it it felt like he had watched some YouTube videos of Louis performances and was doing the voice and, and the facial expression I don't think he's any worse than many of the people playing Socrates and what have you in the in the first movie. It is broad comedy. This is how you do broad comedy. And Billy the Kid was better. I, I mean, I'm not going to argue that I don't feel like these characters are hilarious. It's more important that they're getting them before they were stars. I mean, this is Jimi Hendrix in 67 London before the Beatles discover him. So he isn't Jimi Hendrix yet, you know what I mean? And this is Satchmo in 1922. So like, again, they're dealing with obscurity and the fact that these girls know when, before they were famous and can actually target those times shows their musicology knowledge. They're getting the right people to be influenced by each other at the right moment in their careers. Yeah, the fact that they go get Ling Loon, I had to look up this person. Now, this is a Stuart talking about, you know, making this maybe more about women and, and saying what good are, are white males. Ling Loon, this is a mythological Chinese figure who invented the five tones that made up Chinese music, at least according to Wikipedia. I looked this all up. Traditionally, it was a man because there is a reference like, oh, it's a woman in here because traditionally Ling Loon has always been a man. But here they make it a woman and it's a mythological character anyway, apparently. So why not? And Grom is a woman. Yeah, no, Grom, again, that's what I'm saying. Louis Armstrong, Jimi Hendrix, Grom, getting people of color, getting women. I think she invents the drum set when we go into the tent. She's like got a whole setup. Yeah, she is the greatest drummer ever. And she... The Flintstones would love this. <laughs> yeah, she is a cave woman. How would anyone know to go to the to like 1 million BC to get the best drummer of all time. That one Ling Loon news. It it takes one legendary figure to know another. You know, you just got to go with that. But Ling Loon was centuries after Grom. Again, they're just going with the idea that these are now mythical characters. And apparently the Patty Ann Miller who plays Grom is a real drummer. I, I saw that she played the drums for the halftime show at the 50th Super Bowl with like Beyonce and Bruno Mars and all them. Okay. Yeah. She's good. None of these are characters. I feel like that a lot of this is about showcasing the women's ability to know music and giving them something to do so that you think, yeah, they've got the band all together. Let's go back to suburbia. Let's throw up the garage. And Well, Kid Cudi's going to pop into time too and join the band at this moment. Yeah. I'm not sure how he can really help. They don't even really sell his rapping skills. It's more like he is a philosopher and a engineer. Yeah. He's going to get, he's going to power all the instruments at the end. Yeah, he never raps, he never performs, he never leads the band. He does a little thing like, let's give it up for Bill and Ted. He does some MC stuff up on that stage. He said he was a huge Bill and Ted fan and he fought to get in the movie. So that could be why he has very little to do. That explains a lot. 
Uh, because, they, I mean, they they say these are all historical figures and Kid Cudi. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, if you got <laughs> Kanye, that's one thing. But Kid Cudi, mm, I don't know if that means a lot to anybody. But he's a fanboy and he talked a good game and worked for scale. So here you are getting blasted by Dennis because the robot was indeed waiting for Bill and Ted to come back in the garage. One blast takes out everybody. Yeah, the great one has her own daughter sent to hell. Yeah, I love that fact. When we get to hell, and of course we had to go there. I didn't know we would, but as soon as we did, I'm like... Oh, you didn't see the trailer then. <laughs> that, that was prominent in the trailer. I didn't study the trailer, so like it was... I mean, it's pretty obvious. But it just felt like, oh yes, this feels right that we are repeating the beats before with the new generation. And Kelly is like complaining that I like I can't believe my mother just killed me. I just can't believe it. That was hilarious to me. <laughs> I love that she has cell signal in hell too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How, those future phones are great. I barely have coverage now. <laughs> and she's in hell calling the future. She finds out Dennis is named after her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> Yeah. And and hell does get an upgrade. I feel like 30 years later with technology and this feels like a lot of green screen in this film. They didn't shoot on location in hell, Jacob. This was all shot in New Orleans. (laughs) I I know, but they don't have like a devil in red spandex and like there's dragons flying around. It's cool. It's a cool looking hell. They didn't update the circuits of time, though, which I thought the whole move was wireless, guys. You know why they didn't? Those fucking wireless headsets suck. (laughs) keep the wires you know how many of the times those have delayed our shows (laughs) clerks for one yes one joke that is just so minor it may not even have been intentional is that billy and thea are going to start breaking rocks which is in that cut scene and that reaper rap i was thinking that too that like here's a cut scene for those of you in the know (laughs) but bill and ted have to get there and Dennis, to make up for killing the Supreme Leader's daughter, goes to forward to nursing home time, Bill and Ted. But since they have the song, he won't kill him. Yeah, it was good moral bond- quandaries. I like this about like he was ready to blast them. That was his mission. But as soon as he realized that he couldn't, he like he just totally crumbles. And like all of the killer Terminator thing is out the window. And he's, quote, expiating his guilt for lasering the daughters. So Bill and Ted know they need to go to hell, snap the thumb drive in half, but Dennis still doesn't want to kill them. He's just going to kill himself. Yeah, they have to run to him like he's the suicide bomber. And middle-aged Elizabeth and Joanna are arriving just in time to see that. So again, we've been wondering on their journey what they've discovered about their husbands. Maybe this is a moment that made them realize that their husbands would give anything for their daughters. Yeah, is this why the daughter stopped talking to them when we go to 2022? Because they were in hell this whole time? Perhaps. Again, it's hard to know how much of those alternative storylines would have happened in their own timeline. It's stickier here. I don't feel like it's as clean as we've seen time travel in the previous two movies. Yeah, when I think about the wives coming to time, Stuart, you said this is the present that they want. This is the good present. Mm -hmm. But it has their wives going back in time to say, leave these losers. I don't think they were telling them to leave. Only the 2022 Bill and Ted thought that because they hadn't seen their wives. If you get to the end, you know that they patched everything up. Yeah, why do you think they want them to leave? They go back in time to pick them up to show them this. Okay, we were told that they go back in time. By unreliable narrators. You're right, Jacob. I never put that together. So 2022 Bill and Ted lied about why the wives went back in time. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I didn't realize that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm piecing a lot of things talking this movie out because it 
it is surprisingly dense. <laughs> yeah, and enjoyable for it. It hasn't hurt the comedy. I'm laughing at all the silly stuff, but I am engaged in a much better way than previous movies. And once we get to hell with Bill and Ted and Dennis, this is where we find out Dennis's name. And really, he takes on the death role here of this insecure, weird being. Like, he's a robot. Death's a grim reaper. Why would they have insecurities? But it's funny, like, seeing Dennis go around and apologizing and just, yeah, just being so insecure. Well, think about it. He was created with one purpose, kill Bill and Ted. Purpose fulfilled. They're dead. And now, what's he going to do? So- <laughs> I do love how Bill and Ted, they're like, how do you even die? You're a robot. Yeah, and, and other demons. They're asking directions from polite demons, and they're like, look at that. Those demons build as ugly demon and stupid demon, Solomon and Matheson, the writers, doing their cameos like they did in the previous two. So those demons may have been sentenced to demonic life during a seance with Mm. Missy. There it is. Yeah, they started life working in an ice cream parlor. Became friends with Missy. Played with an Ouija board. Go to hell. I mean, yeah, we know what happens after that. That's funny. I, but I knew as soon as I saw, I'm like, oh, we got some demons talking. Pause. Look them up. Okay. Yep. It's the writers. Like, I, I was on to them this time. I figured it out when they're like, is that a robot? Yes, that's a robot in hell. <laughs> well, at this point, then this is when I realized this was a new actor. And I was like, well, this is not William Sadler. Is he not death? I didn't really know. I should have known. But death is still coming. You saw him for briefly when... Chief Logan died. Uh, yeah, that didn't really... Again, this movie's got a lot going on. Yes. Like, yes, for a second he flashed on screen. Maybe that was William Sadler. Maybe it wasn't. I guess I. all I'm saying is that in my mind, in preparation of this movie, I wasn't sure we were going to have the band put away their anger and, and patch it up here. But we were going to find out why Wild Stallions fell apart. It was because... 40-minute bass solos led to death going solo and labeling Bill and Ted stalkers. If you actually read some of the the tabloid news reporters, he got a restraining order against them and said that they were stalkers. Yeah, he tried to take the name from them. He tried to be the Wild Stallion. Yes, I am the band, which made me laugh. Yeah, everyone wants the bass player. Well, I mean, look, if if you know, like, Jocko Pistorius in the 70s, like, a 40-minute bass solo, people were rocking out to that in the 70s. They love that stuff. It's true. Prog rock, yes. We laugh now, but and I'm not t- entirely. I like prog rock, sort of, in an embarrassed, you know, way. But, you know, it, it has its place in history, but is a bit goofy, and so is death. And this is wonderful to see. I was really happy to see William Sadler still has it. Yeah, I love that when they go to see him, they are literally knocking on death's door. There's some subtle jokes in here, I think. If I watch it a third or fourth time, I'm going to even pick up more of this type of stuff. But that got me funny. I love when they talk about his albums, like Pale on Pale (laughs) or Boogie Down with Dr. D. (laughs) That was the best one. Even the girls couldn't fake that one. They're like, yeah, that hook. Mm." You know, the girls have put a band together, but they still need death. Like Wild Stallions has to reunite. And Bill and Ted, they get nowhere with death. I do love that death is like learning how to cheat on games. And he's like, best 75 out of 81. Like Mm -hmm. he's still doing that whole shtick. And playing by himself, right? Like, I mean, he's... Yes. He's practicing in case he ever gets challenged. Yeah, he says he got demoted because two people were allowed to return to life because of him. Okay. But yeah, the daughters are the ones that have to go in and smooth things over. They have to tell him, oh, we really, like, I love how they can break it down. We love these three bars before the end chorus of this one song. Like, <laughs> they get very specific. Yeah. And and again, that's, that isn't just them fudging death on. They 
they're good listeners. They actually know the samples they like. They can hear an album of shit and say, those three bars are great. And so Death is back in the band, going to take them up to Earth. He screams, let's rock. And Dennis gets like the best line <laughs> of the movie. It was cool when you said, let's rock, because it made me want to rock. <laughs> you do not just get to rock. <laughs> you got to earn it. Being a podcaster and seeing some of the interviews, there's a Chris Farley sketch that he used to do on SNL yes, where he'd interview yes. people, have like Patrick Swayze on. Do you remember that time in Roadhouse when you ripped that guy's throat out? That was cool. I also love as they ascend back to the surface, like they're hitting dead bodies that are falling down to hell. <laughs> you just hear them clunking against the SWAT van. And they're in the SWAT van because Ted's dad was down there. Yeah, apparently vans could commit sins, just like robots can and go to hell. <laughs> and Ted's dad is like, it's all true. You weren't lying. I'm proud of you, son. Here's the thing. Like, this is not an okay boomer movie. I almost expected that where it's like, okay, boomer, we're going to take, oh, even though Bill and Ted are Gen X, the forgotten generation people. But... You have this moment, like all the generations are coming together, like Chief Logan, who's been such a jerk in all these movies up to this point. He's like, oh, I believe you. And now I have to help you succeed because I see that you really are going to save the world and let me help you now. Like, I love the turns in this film. Yeah, you, I, it's no surprise that they're paving the way for the children to take over. The surprise is it doesn't mean that the other characters are faded to the background, that it's about them stepping aside. Quite the opposite. Bill and Ted are important in the climax. They just learn that the fate of the universe is not for them to solve. It's not all on their shoulders. They can rely on their family. They are part of the solution, but they aren't the solution. And the big mystery is they have to play this song at 717 at MP46. They don't know what that means, but they're just going to land there. It's just a mile marker on the freeway. We're going to see Missy and Deacon stuck there. I guess, I guess, they're, are they going on their honeymoon? I'm not sure. Yeah, they just got married. Well, the wedding may have been the day before, but because they're not still wearing their wedding outfit. But yeah, they talk about going, missing their flight to the honeymoon. Yeah, and, and lots of, I mean, everything. The Hindenburg's in the sky. The Eiffel Tower is on the skyline. I love when Saturn shows up and they're like, a lunar eclipse. That's not lunar, dude. There's also, I noticed it the second time I watched it, there's a Circle K billboard in the background. <laughs> I guess they just got to get Circle K in. I didn't notice it. But again, this feels a very like a very densely populated movie. Like, I ended up watching, I saw this movie once but I ended up needing to go back and watch a few of the scenes again, including this climax, to really grasp what was happening. It was that hard to follow. I mean, I don't want to say hard to follow. No, there's just a lot going on. But it required more of me than I expected. Yeah, I've watched it twice and I'm still like, so Bill and Ted had to give instruments to everyone in all time? I mean, they literally go to Jesus at the Last Supper and we're supposed to believe before he's betrayed by Judas. He's playing cowbell at the last summer. I mean, that was a pretty solemn freaking supper if you read about it. Yeah, it's funny. The, the, the history books lie. They, they were rocking <laughs> out at that last supper. Yes. Bill and Ted have a role to play, and it's not just backup. Yes, the big epiphany is our daughters have the last name that were prophesied to write the song. It's them and not us, but it doesn't take away the meaning of Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted, they are Bill and Ted's children. They are part of them. Yeah, it's not even Billy and Thea that they don't even really write the song. Again, they're 
They are the millennials. They are the Generation Z, where it becomes about remixes. Uh, again, I think about YouTube culture, and there's some great remixes where they they mash up two songs. Like, there's some great stuff out there, and that's what they're doing. I know DJs who did that in the 90s. I did it a little, not successfully, but some of my friends are really good at it. Yeah, it's. I think with with computers and everything, they they do even more with it. And I think I think that is a legitimate art form. How to, again using samples, mixing things, and so yeah, they're basically the conductors. They're they're going to put the band together, get them to keep the beat, but they don't because they know everything about music, but they don't know how to play. So I, I think it's interesting. Is like they have the knowledge. Bill and Ted have the skill. Like everyone needs to come together. But is sampling writing? So Vanilla Ice wrote Ice Ice Baby, not Queen. Yes. Oh, no, he definitely stole Queen. Well, I mean, (laughs) just looking at this in total and thinking about the themes of this, I I have this guilt a lot when I think about Gen Y and Z is that, you know, they're told they need to learn all of this history. And what is there for them to do? Like, ultimately, the fact that these daughters are told, don't, you know, you have all the knowledge and all of that, but just play to your feeling. Just take what what sounds good. Yes, make something old new again. Because some people would tell you, and I might be one of them, actually, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new that can be created. In the postmodern world, all you can do is recycle somebody else's work. You inherit things. You don't create things. And it's just kind of nice to see that that is seen, that art form is seen as heroic here in the climax. Yeah, I I think in, I don't want to sound like an old grumpy man, but I probably will. But there is at least the sentiment that younger people aren't learning how to play instruments. And and that's a bummer for me. I'm not a great musician, but I I love messing around with the bass or guitar, the piano and like super excited. One of my daughters like just picked up this toy ukulele we have and just is learning chords off of YouTube so she could play songs on the ukulele. It's like super exciting to me, but I, I do feel like people, uh, again, because of computers and all that, we could program drums, we could program samples. So I could get super grumpy about that. So it is exciting to see like younger people portrayed as heroes that at least they have that musical background, that knowledge. They understand the history and the evolution. They, 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 you know, they know, hey, let's get Hendrix, let's get Louis Armstrong. And then they know how to mash all that together. So again, I, I, I could get very grumpy about this kind of thing because yes, people pick up real instruments and learn to play real instruments, but music is more than just being able to play an instrument. There are different levels to it. And I begrudgingly come to accept that. Well, and yes, this climate is definitely going to throw out the idea that you need musical training. Everyone should pick up an instrument and play the song. I mean, C major is, is like the most common key to play in. Like it, it's pretty simple. But yet death is telling Dennis the tambourine is more difficult. I love that line. Yes. Because <laughs> Dennis so desperately wants to be in the band. And he's like, why don't you go off and practice your dancing over there? You know, this is some people's ideas of dystopia. You hear this a lot about the global world order, everyone doing everything together and using that terrifies some people like they wouldn't see this as utopia and all they want to not wear their mask or whatever. They want their individualism and they don't want to be playing the same song. I don't want to be playing this song. I'll be honest. I'd be a little, I'd probably go with the tambourine if they told me. Yeah, no, listen, the, the idea of Bill and Ted's music has always been more exciting than the music I've had to listen to in these movies. So I agree with you there, but I think, 
Look, there is something about collectivism, and we got to come together to build a future. And it's not just about the individual. And that's my problem. A lot of times you, you watch a superhero movie, it's all about what can Batman do to save the world, not how can we all come together and, and contribute and, and save the world. So you prefer uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, where all the New Yorkers start throwing garbage at the Green Goblin? No, no, I... I like uh, like Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight, where 40 people are help solving the case, and one of them is Batman. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it just... So the fact that the entire world, through all history, there's no boomers, no zoomers, no Gen X, because we're going way back to caveman days, and I don't know, we never see them go to the future. Maybe they just have to save just everyone up to that point needs to play, but the great leader is never given an instrument to play. But I do love, like, again, Bill and Ted have to become infinite. And, like, you see this infinite explosion of foam boosts as they go throughout time, and, like, Ted, I'm essentially an infinite being. Like, <laughs> Of course, the first numbers to dial for that infinity were 69, 69. dude! <laughs> Oh, I didn't catch that. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I, I was shocked that there wasn't a whole lot of callbacks. Like, at one point when they do end up on the freeway, we see some historical figure that looks like they have a headgear that Genghis Khan wore. I'm like, oh, are we going to see Abe Lincoln show up? Or when they go and have to distribute instruments, are they going to give something to Socrates? But no, they never do do that. Like, I don't know if that's budget restrictions. Kid Cuddy, he co- he gives a shout out to Station at, at one point in all this. Yeah, which feels weird. Well, everybody was saying it back after when Bill and Ted were big the first time. I mean, he was talking about quantum realms, and so I assume you go with Station. They knew all about that. They were kind of like the Bill and Ted symbiotic creature, both two things at once and a unified vision. I did read somebody else online who had a theory that like the last time we saw Kid Cootie, he was going to split in two and he was stationed, but it never happened. That would have been a fun little callback too. I think that that would have fit in. Yeah, that seemed to be where they were going and they maybe they realized that was a joke that was too obscure for much of an audience that doesn't have a deep knowledge of the first two movies from so long ago. If they can just go with Kid Cootie yelling station. That moment passes in a flash, but if he actually became space aliens, you might it might beg questions. You might like <laughs> have to be like, wait, what are you talking about? But you you not only have like Bill and Ted saving everything, we see Kelly in the future with her mom who says your father would be proud of you. Like again, recognizing that yet younger generation, but we also like Rufus. Like if you're us who who or at least Arnie and I who really enjoyed the first two films a lot and have nostalgia for it, like, yeah, Rufus would be proud of you. Again, the the generations coming together, people coming together, time coming together. That is the theme of this film and maybe this whole franchise. And we're seeing it here. And I I think it plays great. And the song that saves the world sounds like a Lumineers ripoff. I was going with Mumford and Son. I mean, isn't that, I guess that would be 10 years ago that was popular. Again, I don't know what rock music there is today that people are listening to. I just That's why this doesn't make any sense. Is because ultimately, if you're talking about the sound of now, 2020, it is not rock and roll. It just isn't. I mean, there are bands that are doing it. But short of Imagine Dragons, I really don't think any of them were selling a lot. Again, I don't I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man. I, I just don't know. I, I don't keep up with new music the way I, I did when I was a teenager. I do. There were bands that I like. I try to always listen to new music. I do feel like it is pretty meta that Weezer is going to play a song in the closing credits. Because Weezer, aren't they on the Bill and Ted trajectory? Like, they had a huge first album and, and a second one, which is critically acclaimed. And then, I don't know, they seem to put out a new album every six months and no one cares. 
I don't like them anymore. No, they are the Bill and Ted's of our day. I like them then, and I don't like them now, and I don't like this song they're playing at the end either. And, and apparently, I think Weezer's in here. Again, more nepotism. Th- apparently, their first gig was for Dogstar, Keanu's rock oh, band back in the day. I'm sure that, again, this feels like a party. This feels like friends that got together, and they had all sorts of thoughts, and that the, all of this, it took all, the 30 years, all of it is up here. Like all of the, all of the the references and who they became and all of their ideas in big and little ways, they feel like they're born on screen here. And if you wanted to take the time to watch this movie twenty more times, you would probably find more little details and and inside little bits like that. And I've listened to the soundtrack a few times because I wanted to be able to comment on it because I've listened to the other two soundtracks so much. And you know, it's okay. I actually like. Bill and Ted's wedding song, best of all the songs on the soundtrack. <laughs> That's the one that st- stands out the most to me. Yeah, agreed. And a lot of that has to do with pop rock of right now is something that I don't really like, and that was what they were stuck having to cater to because they're making a movie in 2020. Well, I like Halsey and some modern music, but I didn't get the feel of any of that on this album. But mostly this album just kind of felt a little bit flavorless. I think the big problem is this movie didn't feature the songs as well. You know, the other movies would play almost full-length songs at times, especially that first one when you open with I Can't Break Away and then you've got the come out and play in the mall and all of this. And in Bogus Journey, you've got Winger with Battle Station, almost a full song as Station builds robots and things. And here, they don't really focus on the music. We don't get to hear a lot of music. I When I watched the movie the second time, I really had to like pay attention to be like, where are 12 songs in this movie? They do like air guitar one time, I think, in this film. Twice. Once with death and once on their own when they first get in the phone booth. I mean, it is about the music. I mean, and I feel like at this ending with the credits, they they cram three or four songs in here, almost at full length, including Weezer and Cold War Kids, established artists. I don't know. I've never liked any of the soundtracks, so it's really not that important to me that that it hasn't fulfilled some thing of the past. And all these people at the end... They put out a call on social media, send in videos of yourself rocking out to Wild Stallions. When I saw these closing credits, I'm like, oh, they must have like had something like submit your YouTube video or something. I I wish I would have known about this. I would have submitted something with my family. This was, I don't know. Again, I'm so into the vibe. We've talked a lot about the music, not so much into the music, but just what this movie does with unifying the generations in time. Like the planets are finally aligned. Like they talked about in that first film at the end of this one, those planets are aligned and just seeing people like rock out and have a fun time. In 2020, that is the message we need. That is what we need to see. Like, I'm stuck staring at the news on my phone all day, and it is awful. And, like, these ending credits are, are such a relief to the to what we're suffering through right now. And, of course, how people are coping as well. I mean, that music is the thing that you see always. Doctors and nurses, you know, doing covers and their piano things going viral. I mean, I just... Yeah, all those actors try to do this with Imagine at the beginning of the pandemic, and that didn't work. No, no. Gal Gadot did not save the world when everyone was singing together we need the common man not wonder woman (laughs) but i think the people who knew they were getting in first of all the two people with real instruments playing in front of the real san dimas high school they had to know they were a shoe in weird al on uh, accordion (laughs) 
Weird Al's in there? There's a split screen of two people playing accordion. One's a puppet gorilla and the other's Weird Al. Same thing. (laughs) And I think the sidekick from the Jimmy Kimmel show was in there too. He was. He was in the shower. He was singing in the shower. Yeah, I thought so. But of course, the last song, the last notes got to go to Bill and Ted as old men cranking their amps if you stay past the credits uh they're going to need a nurse afterwards i actually thought they were going to set up like a fourth film they're like there's one more thing we have to do i'm like oh shit they're gonna give us a teaser to the next film which like hasn't been announced and probably will never happen but no they just got to plug in those guitars and rock out one more time again it is all about them in the end we we want to see them yeah playing that metal from the 80s and and they still have it Whatever that was, uh, they're still doing it here at the end of their life. But did the movie have it? Jacob Stewart, what do you say when Bill and Ted face the music? Jacob. You know, I don't think this is the movie that's going to reunite the world. It's too simplistic. Not plot-wise, like, plot goes all over the place. But it's weird to think, like, yeah, can we all just play one song together? And and maybe that will heal us? And, like, I love that message. But I don't have a lot of faith in 2020 that's going to work. But I love seeing it on screen. I love seeing the generations, the sexes, the the races, genders all coming together. And, and to play one song together and, and put petty issues aside for a few minutes to play a song. Like, to me, that, that, that it's a feel-good moment. And the first time I watched this, I got to the end, I'm like, that's a cute movie. Like, I, I like that it's about middle-aged Bill and Ted, like, having problems with their wives and really depending on their daughters to help them out and, like, giving them that trust. It is so not the Bill and Ted that you would want when you were 14, but in your 40s, it is the Bill and Ted I want. And again, it's there's a lot of callbacks to those, those first two. So, like, Bogus Journey, what's really stood out to me was, like, oh, time travel? Forget that. We're doing Aliens and Heaven and Hell and The Grim Reaper and, and just this weird, crazy film. And this one, it relies a lot more on all that time travel and and picking up with Rufus and, and his daughter and all that, all those familiar things. And yet it's still a crazy movie. Like for 90 minutes, I don't know how this film is only 90 minutes. Like they pad out those credits and everything, but there is so much going on. I would have liked to see this film breathe a little bit more, have, maybe have a few more gags as they travel throughout time, the, the daughters to, to get the different musicians you know again we don't need a whole lot of time devoted to it but it could have breathed a little you could have made this 100 minutes it didn't have to be a tight 90 minutes but maybe there wasn't a whole lot of money because the overall look it does feel like a lot of green screen i did go back to that netflix Wee herman film which feels like a netflix Wee herman film like i liked it but it feels like they didn't have a whole lot of money and, and this felt similar but overall because the themes are so great and because these characters, they've aged, they're still Bill and Ted, but but they are more mature and, and they have a slight a different take on them. Like, it's a sweet film. Like, the family comes together. And I love that. This is a film I'd love to sit down and watch w- with the whole family. It, it's a feel-good film. And yeah, it is the film we need for 2020. Recommend. Stuart. Yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying. That's what Billy and Thea are saying. It worked. I mean, that's the last line of the movie, and and who am I to disagree? I mean, it is a triumphant feel-good picture released at one of the lowest moments of my memory in world morale. There's a good deal of nostalgia at play. I think part of it is having gone through and seen the other two movies, this movie means more for having taken that journey. And certainly if you grew up with Bill and Ted, I think it's going to mean more to you than people coming to this cold, not knowing the characters. But even so, I think old generation and new, watching those generations learn from the past, 
and and find some hard-fought wisdom based the music more heartfelt and more inspiring than any Bill and Ted film before. I, you know, for the 50-somethings, you know, they learn that they can pass a torch to a new generation of young females, and it doesn't mean they have to be killed, like the, the, the women were saying before. It doesn't mean they have to be retired. It doesn't mean they're facing death. All that it really means is they need to recognize they're not the white savior. They're not supposed to make everything right. They're a part of a community. They're part of a collective. And when they realize and recognize those roles, it's an awesome jam. And for the young kids, yeah, they're learning that all that history that they've accrued can be used to create in a matter of speaking, that you can actually pull from that and have something new. You're not just recycling and remixing. You are birthing a new art form. And I think that's a great message to send as well. The only false note really in this movie for me is the music. I actually think it's so unfortunate that, that a plot that's so driven by we have to have the perfect song has this soundtrack. I actually think it's pretty lame. With their budget, I guess this is all they could get the rights to. And maybe this is the sound of now. I mean, again, because I didn't like it doesn't mean that, you know, like fans of fun aren't going to go, this is a great tune. You know, like it, it just sounds like... Something Pink would record. She did. She actually did in a song called Walk Me Home. I mean, even Pink picked up on this bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. This overproduced is how I would call it. This with some world music flair here. Again. Oh, yeah. That chanting is very world music. Yeah. But you know what? Here's the thing. 2020 has been the year of watching low expectations exceeded. I didn't want another Bad Boys movie. I didn't want another Deep Blue Sea movie. I never wanted to watch Bill and Ted again. Are you saying you love Sonic? Sonic was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, again, like, I have pretty much written this year off. It's pretty bad. I'm really just hoping to live through it. It could be. Uh, Hopefully we'll find out soon. But you know what? I, I had no reason to believe Bill and Ted were going to achieve excellence, but I think they have. In their trilogy conclusion, I think they have finally made a very non-heinous, great film. This is a high recommend. And I also agree. You know, I'm thinking right now, 2020 is threatening to destroy reality. You know, it does kind of feel like the turntable of reality is shifting. And, you know, you keep hearing about it, Corona and violence and there's an asteroid coming towards earth in november murder hornets in washington (laughs) state and everything yeah in a time when reality is threatening to be destroyed this is the movie that can unite the world right and i really feel bill and ted coming back at this point they have a message that i really wish would spread around the world with their song and that's be excellent to each other It feels to me over the past decade or more that across the country and across the world, we've become so combative, whether it's getting all up in somebody's face because their store, which they have no control over, has a mask rule or attacking a movie critic because you don't agree with what they said and then making personal attacks about it or throwing rocks and bottles at somebody whose opinion you don't agree with or burning down buildings. Hell, just down to the fact of maybe slow down and let somebody on the interstate when you see them coming on an on-ramp and they're still speeding up. I really think be excellent to each other is just a oversimplified but great rule of thumb. You may not always agree, 
but that doesn't mean you can't be excellent to each other. And even though they started making this movie 13 years ago, I mean, that was during the Bush administration, and people weren't really being excellent to each other then. And then during Obama, it seemed to get worse, people less excellent, and now it's rare that I see people being excellent to each other. I feel like this is the movie we need at this time, even if I'm cynical enough to not think it's going to make a difference. Its political statements are understated, but there. And it's a callback so that the older, perhaps more stodgy or stubborn people can fondly watch this and remember their youth, while newcomers can come to this, and you've never had to have seen a Bill and Ted film to get this movie, other than perhaps the convoluted family tree conversation at the wedding and the opening. It helps, though. I agree you don't have to, but I think if you have, the more familiar you have, the more in-jokes you'll pick up. Yeah, absolutely. But you can be a newcomer to this. Like Jacob was saying, a grandfather who watched the first one in theaters could watch this with their 10-year-old grandkid and both could enjoy the movie. And I think it's a nice send-off to Bill and Ted, especially that post credit scene with them still trying to rock when they're 97 and in a nursing home. This, to me, feels like a conclusion, you know? Mm, yeah. Part two ended, and it felt like their story was told because they had the Grand Canyon concert and the Mars concert. But here... This feels like a much nicer send-off than Bogus Journey. This feels like a celebration of all that Bill and Ted was, as well as a love note to their goodbye in that nursing home at the end. It, it's just not for us in the 80s or early 90s. It's for everyone because of this film. Yeah, and it is convoluted, and it is very plot-heavy in a way that feels a little clumsy, Ed Solomon has gone on to write a lot of movies since Bill and Ted, and you can kind of feel it. This reminded me of some of the clumsiness of some of the Men in Black movies. <laughs> but what it succeeds is, I was thinking about it, and this movie caps a very consistent trilogy. Robocop couldn't do it. Terminator couldn't <laughs> do it. Lethal Weapon couldn't do it. The Matrix couldn't do it. Even The Godfather couldn't do what Bill and Ted have done and delivered a consistent trilogy over three movies. It's a recommend. Yeah, I, the trilogy I was thinking a lot about was Blood and Ice Cream, which it wasn't the same character, so maybe they're not comparable, but they got better each time. They got more sophisticated. They got more sentimental. There was more emotion. And yeah, I feel like it's the same ranking in Blood and Ice Cream as this one. So you're saying this is your favorite? Yeah, third is the best, second is the second best, first is still solid. Yeah, I still go with the second one because it, it totally blew away my expectations. It's just such a weird movie, like the places that one goes. I love the creativity of it. I, I think I'd go with that first one. I just have more nostalgia with it, but it, th these are all very close. Like, I'd want to watch them all together. It, so, yeah, I'd go 2-1-3, but again, it's a photo finish for me. For me, I'm confused uh, internally. Is 3 the best or is 3 the worst? Because... I wouldn't even use the word worst, though. Just least best. <laughs> yeah, least good of the three. You know what I'm saying. We're talking about three movies. I recommended all of them. But in ranking them, is 3 at the top or is 3 at the bottom? Because it has the most heart at the top. It has the most convoluted plot. 
at the bottom. Worst music at the bottom. I think I'm just going to rank it the exact opposite of Stuart, which is, I guess, why we have a show, Stuart. <laughs> because I'm going to go one, two, three, because I feel like they kept getting a little bit more convoluted every time. But I like them all. Yeah, and I don't agree. Convoluted, yes, but with that, I call sophistication. They had ambitions. They got pretentious, maybe, but they were trying to do new things, and they did the the most new things most successfully for me with this new one. They, they, again, it was the heart that I'd always been asking for in the first two that really makes this easily my favorite. I think the heart was there in part one. I think maybe you need to go back and rewatch and reevaluate that one. Uh, yeah, maybe some year, but I we, we've done that. Like, it's three weeks of this. I think it's time to move on. And I got to say... What discussion will we have next week? If we're talking about movies that are underrated and, like, not perceived as having low expectations, I can't think of a better one than New Mutants. It's finally out. I couldn't believe it escaped. I don't think it was released. I think it broke out. <laughs> it ran away. Yes. It made like seven million bucks. <laughs> and that was a huge, like number one by a lot to open at seven million. I think that's the biggest box office since April. It cost 70 million to make, so I'm sure they're really happy with that. But that's 70 million in like 2016 dollars, because that's when that film was made. So that's like, what, 110 today? <laughs> But yeah, we we don't know because, Jacob, you're in L.A. We're code purple. No theaters till we're code red. Yeah, but you do have a drive-in. We're not sure if Tenet is going to your drive-in. Oh, but New Mutants is there already. I will be driving an hour to a drive-in to watch New Mutants. I will be going into a room with recirculated air to watch New Mutants, so... Yeah, who will live, who will survive, which is the better theater experience. Yeah, so when discussing do we do Christopher Nolan or do we do Josh Boone, Josh Boone won! (laughs) Yeah, if I gotta go to a drive-in, I'd rather see New Mutants than Tenet. Tenet, I want to be in a real theater. I, I concur with that. I feel like Tenet I'm gonna need to see several times in the best screens available to me, whereas New Mutant is pure drive-in. No matter what, it has to be a recommend for New Mutants because it's a new movie. We have new movies. Yes. My bar is not that low. (laughs) (laughs) In the meantime, if you want more slacker dudes from the 90s, uh, we're going to cater to September patrons this Friday. Yeah, we are doing Clerks. If you did watch the Comic-Con at-home panel on Bill and Ted Face the Music, Kevin Smith moderated it and said there is no Jay and Silent Bob without Bill and Ted. So we'll talk about the first Jay and Silent Bob and the first Kevin Smith movie. I'm not a filmmaker that I'm very familiar with, so um, I'll be catching up. So that is this Friday for patrons of $10 or more. We appreciate your support. You can do this at nowplayingpatron.com and listen to this one-off review picked by one of our listeners. And also, if you want to listen to more bonus podcasts, this is the last week to donate for our spring-summer donation drive. Right now, we're in kind of a transition period where you can donate for either spring-summer or winter-fall or both. But if you want to get the Candyman series as well as the review of Us for just $10. And this includes the Candyman remake review whenever that movie comes out, just $10. You can still get that as part of the spring-summer series. All those Tom Cruise reviews we did at the gold level, just $25. And you're going to get Top Gun Maverick for no additional charge whenever that movie comes out. And if you go platinum for $35... 
you also get all the Sleepaway Camp podcasts. And after Friday, the individual prices are going up on Podbean. They'll no longer be available through the patron program, and they're no longer going to be available from direct donation to us. So this is your last chance to get in and get those podcasts. And thank you all for your support. Details are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And it is literally your support, your financial support, and the kind words you send online when you're being excellent to each other. And I do think most people on our social media are excellent to each other. It's all of your support that keeps us going for over a thousand movie reviews and about 13 years of podcasts. So thank you for traveling through the conduits of infinity with us as the Bill and Ted journey goes on. Jacob Stewart, thank you for facing the music with me. And now, gentlemen, we're history. Bill, my friend. Yes, Ted, my friend. This has been a most excellent adventure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. It is time. Their separation is imminent. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Ted, you and I have witnessed many things, but nothing as bodacious as what just happened. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. You must play me again. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews. Welcome to heaven. Including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Besides, we told ourselves to listen to this guy. See you real soon. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. I feel so bad for him. They've been doing this on their own for the longest time. Yeah, I wish there was some way we could help them out, you know? Yeah. But how? We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. I guess maybe sell some more blood. Perhaps you should think about selling a couple of the instruments. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. We came to help you guys in your most unfortunate situation. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Extra credit, dude. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. And I've been wanting to meet you my whole life. It must be very disappointing. Not at all. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Before you say anything, my distinguished colleague Ted and I wish to express to you our thanks. 
You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. You will come with me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You are just a noble creator. Associate produced by Jason Latham. But once again, I want to thank you for your very hard work. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. And very important, do not do your homework without wearing headphones. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I love show business. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. What if we were lying? Why would we lie to ourselves? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. And what have you learned? We've, uh, we've learned that the world has a great history. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. I worked within the system until I could stand it no longer. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. How'd you like our song? Party on, dudes! Catch you later, Bill and Ted! And trying to pull off the same air guitar, excellent! And at a certain point, it becomes sad. For reference, anybody who thinks I'm wrong, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. 100% agree. <laughs> I was going to suggest watch Fuller House, and you know, it's... <laughs> have him bothered. Candace Cameron still has the magic. Not till Michelle joins rejoins the cast. <laughs> I want a full reunion. <laughs> it, it's great that they got Kimmy Gibbler, but I want Michelle. I that's a, I agree. That is actually why I boycotted. No Michelle, no Arnie. <laughs> Suck it up, Olsen twins. Do them a favor. Get back on there. One one episode. Just one. I'm sure they've sucked it up, but what it is is Coke. <laughs> Make up for killing Heath Ledger. <laughs> ouch. They did, but yeah, ouch. Really? <laughs> I don't even know this story. And they were heavily involved, yeah. One of them was, not both, but. Who, who could tell them apart? They both look so alien now. And by the way, I tried doing air guitar between our last recording and now. It's hard. I make, I regret making fun of those air guitar champions. Why? I mean, it's not that... No one's saying that it's easy. We're just saying it's useless. <laughs>
<laughs> I had a Wild Stallions t-shirt myself, and for a photo for the internet, I tried to air a guitar, and it constantly looked like I was either throwing gang signs or having a seizure. Do you play guitar? I, I mean, that's what it looks like when you take a guitar away. I play guitar. <laughs> that's that's what it looks like. Yeah, I don't play guitar, so, I mean, I would just, yeah, I mean, I don't even play, what was that, Guitar Hero or whatever that was for... A hot minute. <laughs> I played Guitar Hero a lot, and I, I could play a few chords on a guitar. Did, did you film a clip already trying to get in the end credits of this film? Is that why you filmed that? <laughs> yeah, there <laughs> we go. I want that cut. Release yeah. the Arnie cut. <laughs> Ice, Ice Arnie should have been in there. <laughs> if Arnie knew that that was a thing, Arnie would have submitted. And the song is called Face the Music. Roll credits if you know that meme. I don't know that meme. Oh, whenever a movie says its title in the movie, that's when you end it and just roll credits. Ah, well, then James Bond would have to do that a hell of a lot. Yeah, that's the joke. That's why it's so funny. Like some movies end within like the first 30 seconds. (laughs) 